Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices of practical guitars to the world. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitars or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. I, I heard you spent your afternoon rewiring your PS4. It, it is so ridiculous to have these these things. It's so expensive and, and such a everybody in bed with everybody else to um, try to get this stuff done. Well, I, I, it's just ridiculous that I have to go through this, or anybody has to go through it, for that matter, to get a simple digital um, uh, analog signal out of a PS4. You think you, we'd be in the world today where right. all of this stuff would talk to one another? Yep. But, but we're, we're not. not. We're not. We're not. There's so much a set of standards that it's it's still proprietary. What standard? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's what is standard to some is not so standard to others. I can recall getting into an argument with relatives about what was standard in the workplace for um, video display from an external device. Oh my god! And it's like they were they were pushing for now. Bear in mind, this was six years ago, right? And they were pushing for HDMI, and I'm like, you can't be 100 percent sure they're going to have that. I'm like, you might think they do, but you should always have adapters because you never know what you're going to walk into. And we actually did it at work. We have people come in and present, and we have um, we have a set of adapters that includes HDMI, DVI, VGA. Um, I think we have DisplayPort now, Mini DisplayPort. Like we have them all, and they're on like a key ring. So it, with, with well, a bunch of brightly colored zip ties, so people don't forget them. I would um, be. Let me say this. I would, if you'd have asked me ten years ago, or even five years ago, if they were going to leave mini, or I mean, um, mini or micro HDMI, or I mean uh, USB, I would have said no. There's no reason. There's no, no point in changing the USB standard. And here we, we have are USB, USB C, C or three point one for those of you that are so inclined. Yeah, because they can't even just give it one name. It has to have two. <laughs> and then what's more confusing to the average consumer is you walk into a store now and excuse me folks I'm eating a Snickers bar this is how I'm getting my food tonight he's hangry yeah. um, 
I'm not myself, and so I've had my Snickers. Um, the um, average consumer walks into Walmart, goes to buy a uh, USB cable. Now, instead of the standard USB port that we used to have at the computer, you're getting a C at the other end as well. And so here's all these adapters you have plug into the wall and all these wall outlets that you have. All of a sudden, oh, wait, no, now it's going to be C at that end. I, hey, you haven't spent enough money. Let's change it just because. I have, um, so I went to I went to a local electronics shop a couple weeks ago, a place where I get cheap cheap audio cables and stuff like that. And I went in to go get um, a USB-C cable because of my new interface is USB-C enabled. Um, 3.1, you know, whatever. It's not Thunderbolt. That's another whole thing. Thunderbolt oh. is the same thing as USB-C in terms of connections. <laughs> Um, but your hardware may not be compatible. Right. Um, so anyway, I got, uh, I went to the store to buy a USB-C cable and I look all over and I find like, they have like a couple of like three footers, four footers, right? They don't have yep. anything other than that. Yeah. Um, and I'm digging around and I find in another section of the store, I find more and they're different sizes. So I got two. I got the one I'm using, and I got right. one that was slightly longer because I figured I was going to need it. But you know what the funny thing is? The slightly longer one I got at home, and even though the package says USB-C on the outside, like on the tag, there's one little place in text on the bottom where it says USB-C to SATA. No, it's not SATA. It's uh, eSATA. And uh, I'm like, this is not what I want. <laughs> So, being that I'm a computer guy, I just stuck it in the drawer because I'm like, at some point I'll need it. But um, at this point, I, I just I just shook my head. I was like, man, this is why this stuff's getting out of hand. I'm so glad that we, that guitar players only use like three different types of cables. Well, okay, so yeah, I want to go. I, I want to take this a little bit further and then come back to the guitar cable thing. So, we, um, my understanding is, and I I don't think it's been confirmed yet that the U.S. or the iPhone 11 um, is going to go USB-C to kind of come away from the Thunderbolt. Where have you heard this? That was um, a hard rumor from one of those well, you know, well to do tech sites that talk about, you know, some of the leaks for the new iPhone. No, um, I don't. I haven't seen that to be accurate. Yeah, um, they're going to have a lightning to USB C cable because the new the new charge brick is going to be USB C, but yeah. the but the connection on the phone is still going to be their their lightning connector. Is so, it going to be the lightning connector they have now? Yeah, yeah, That's good. and 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 so, the reasoning is it's thinner than the USB C connector. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to want to USB C is actually kind of going backwards from micro USB in a in a form factor. Thing, well, it's, it's a lot bigger. Yes and no. It's actually not that much bigger, right? But here's the thing: it's a lot more robust. So well, USB, the, the old USB B or that is the micro, whatever the whatever that format, because there's a four pin and then there was the five pin. The one that everything has now, the micro. Yeah, uh, micro so I believe the, I believe that's the five pin, right. and that thing is, it's really small, but it's extremely easy to mess those cables up. And to jack them up when you're using them, um, I've had several break on me, and and I know other people have expressed the same thing, which is why I think so. If you see the USB C plug, it's like a it's a unibody design. 
um, that and and the way it transmits data and over over it and stuff is supposed to be better as well. But it's one standard to rule them all. That was the whole thing. It was now we're going to have all our devices on the same cable standard. Except yeah, that, so you'll go C to C. Except that it's not computers. yet because we still yeah. we're still using USB A and you know that's it's right. Like, and the A is on most of your computers. That you've yeah, got it's on most of your it's, your it's asinine. wall jacks. It's on most of your um, the car jack or the car um, power. All right, all right. So now, so you go to guitar cables. What have we got? We got quarter inch. So yeah. we either got we either got TRS or we've right. got two connector. Two, and, that's TR- and and maybe if you're a guitar player, you've also used XLR and maybe you've used MIDI. That's four different right. types of cables, and that's it. Right. And then if you get into the realm of like digital recording, then you've probably experimented with things like SPDIF and and um, uh, all the other digital connection standards because there's a bunch of them. Coaxial USB, or I mean, coaxial digital, or right, um, right. optical digital, um, which is what I was messing with today. Yeah, and SCSI and all those different. But things. the thing is, for the most part, I'm not. I'm not talking about, you know. Yeah, for, for, for the average guitar player, part, four cables. If if yeah. if that. And for most two, right. You're right. either TRS or your cordage. And actually, the the only dangerous part is speaker cable. Making sure you're not using. Uh, Computer, or I mean, a guitar jack is a speaker cable. Hey, Jim, you think about this. Think about this for a minute. Quarter-inch plugs yep. have been in use by guitarists pretty much since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Since the 40s or whatever. Yeah. You want to talk about esotericism? Mm-hmm. That's one way to do it. No, but the reality is um, we don't need any more than that. No. I mean, we could go no, to a smaller been, plug, but nobody's been running around. Going, you know what? We need to. We need to make those jacks smaller. We need to make the guitars. You know, when they went to thinner guitars, you think, okay, you come up with like some quote unquote USB C type of connection for well, your if, super light guitars, like the Parkers. And stuff. If Les Paul had gotten his way, we could all be using XLR plugs. Oh yeah. I mean, and I, I, we probably would have used balanced cables, but I actually think there would be advantages to using XLRs because it wouldn't pull out of the guitar. Um, so I don't know. That's just a thought. Uh, man. So Robert Jackson obviously has already discussed this, and yeah. we haven't really touched on it, but we're going to talk about the Gibson countersuit from uh, yeah. Dean. Dean. Dean's, Dean's filing a countersuit against Gibson. And actually – um, offline, Jim and I had a conversation shortly after we did the original, uh, the original run at Gibson. And, uh, the conversation was, was essentially that, um, we were trying to figure out why Gibson would do this. And I, and I mentioned at the time that I think this is really a reflection on Gibson trying to get rid of some dealers of products that, uh, they would like to have, have as dealers, Right. Um, and so they're kind of running a little bit of a PR campaign, I think, where they've got this big lawsuit and it makes everybody aware that these are knockoff guitars and maybe Gibson's even fully aware that this is not going to do them any favors, that this is not going to be something they're going to win in court. Um, but they're doing it from the perspective of number one, we have to show people that we're willing to do this. Number two. Um, we have to make the public aware that these guitars are knockoffs, which the public is probably already aware. Um, and number three, we have to, you know, we have to uh, make put some pressure on these dealers to realize that they can carry the Gibson brand. And uh, look, we've talked about Gibson's buy-in. It's ridiculous. It's really high. 
Um, but I've been hearing lately that that may be changing. And I have heard rumblings that this whole thing may be a stunt in order for them to motivate some dealers to lose their Dean licenses uh, and maybe some of their other knockoff licenses and try to get Epiphone in the door there. Um, I'm not going to, I mean, you guys know how I feel about Epiphone. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I think that's the greatest thing in sliced bread, but it does make sense. And it's the only thing in this chaotic mess that actually does seem to make sense. So the countersuit um, kind of confirms this because they're basically, Dean is alleging that Gibson has now come into some of their dealers with letters and said, you have to cease and desist selling this product. I've not seen the letters. Um, I know that they're they're probably circulating around in some circles, but that's certainly what it sounds like. This is an intimidation tactic um, to put pressure on these dealers. Hey, you know you're selling crap product. Like you're you're selling a, a a what is essentially in Gibson's mind an illegal competitor, and they're trying to make that. I think this is really more geared towards the people who can't afford Gibsons who are like looking at alternatives, right? That this is a, a PR stunt aimed at them, saying, "Look, you can buy that." But it's not authentic, you know, and hashtag play authentic uh, Mark Agnesi, you know, in his uh, in his kidnapping video. Um, I had to show I showed my buddy I, that I had a friend over this week. He's not a guitar player. And I showed him that video and he's like, he's like, what? He's like, it looks like he's being held at ransom. And I'm like, yeah, that's what everybody's been saying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the look on his face. It's pretty funny. There's some stills from that. He's he literally looks like he's like he's a uh, um you know, please send money so they don't behead me. Um Oh I love that I love that video of the uh I think it was an Ibanez uh V from the from the seventies where he opened it up and he was super excited. He's like, Oh, this is so cool. And I'm sitting there thinking like <laughs> boy, if you only knew where you were gonna be in five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think Mark seems like he's a pretty nice guy. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Um, now I will. I I I'm, I'm gonna pick on Robert a little bit because he made a he made a comment in his video um, that that made me laugh when I when I read it or when I heard it. It kind of yeah. go really, Robert. He he says um uh, he says in his video that um you know th this lawsuit against dealers is gonna hurt the little guy. You don't think uh, Gibson's lawsuit against you know, anybody and their lawsuit back is going to hurt the little guy. I mean, let's be honest. Gibson employs a lot of little guys that work there. And we yeah. got to keep in mind, it's easy to put a, a, you know, an unhappy face on a big faceless corporation like Gibson, which right. is the way people perceive it. It's a lot smaller than people think it is. Um, even though it's a high value item. I mean, there's probably only a couple hundred employees in the whole company. Um, yeah. Which for, you know, for in terms of the amount of money that they deal with and like the product that they make is pretty surprising. Um, but Gibson, Gibson is about the same size as Fender, right? Unless you consider the subsidiaries. Um, my point is that if you, if you look at the, if you look at it from that perspective, like this is a, this is a no win for anybody. Um, it does, it's not a win for the consumer. It's nope. not a win for the dealer. It's not a win for Dean, and it's certainly not a win for Gibson. No, those those legal fees, whoever wins, loses, or doesn't pay at all, the legal fees passed on to the consumers. 
They're passed on through uh, raised prices and so on and so forth. This is a um, long game. This is a long game thing anyway, though. If yeah. it's really a PR stunt or uh, a warning shot or whatever you want to call it, um, I think this is a PR stunt more than anything else. And, you know, it's funny. They did this. To, they did this to PRS. You know what? Fifteen years ago. Yeah, and, yeah, and um, um, a little more than that, about eighteen years ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and nothing largely came of that. I mean, they they won the case and then they turned around and lost the case in a, in an upper court. And um, when you stop and you think about this, nobody was getting all up in arms when that happened. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there were people out there that were, but I don't. I I mean, I was on forums back then. I don't remember people freaking out that Gibson was suing PRS. In fact, I remember reading a lot of people who were like, yeah, they should sue PRS because the single cut is a total knockoff of Les Paul. Yep. Which was really surprising because now if that happened, everybody would be like, oh, Gibson's evil because they're suing PRS for knocking off the Les Paul. Well, they're the new, uh, they're the new guys to hate. Right. It's, it, it's cool to hate on Gibson. Um, especially in what we see or perceive as news channels, because we only have guitar podcasts and um, YouTube channels. So, you know, people like us, you know, we're, um, and I'm not saying we're using Gibson to, to uh, forward our, our channel, but um, there are people who are, are folks who they think that that's the only, the only way to do it is to, is to hate on the big guy. Well, and, so it's unfortunate, but that's true. So I agree. Um, I I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we're not getting listeners by talking about this whole controversy. And thank you, right. Gibson, for giving this to us yeah. because we might be the only people benefiting from this. Um, you know, the the uh, media uh, podcasting yeah. and YouTube communities and all that stuff. Like yeah. um, anytime this kind of controversy happens, of course, it, it sparks a lot of debate, um, which is healthy for our business. But um, I personally look at the situation and kind of think to myself like this is this is more evidence that Gibson's not on track yet they haven't they haven't really figured out where they're going they know that they kind of got to change their product up a little bit they got to do a back to basics thing they got to listen to their customers but they still qu haven't quite figured out how to run their business and it's it's kind of chilling to an, to an extent because this is a big company right like so not everybody that was there under henry jeskowitz is now gone right? right um many of those people are still in positions of power within the organization so i kind of look at this and i go who who signed off and said that they should they should keep this lawsuit going because it's not the financial outlay look uh, a, a corporate to corporate lawsuit they're not they, these lawyers aren't retained they're employees so it's yeah. probably not as financially insane as like say if you were a small company with like 20 people and you had to go hire lawyers to sue somebody else for intellectual property right infringement right well um i, I would all right so when it comes to lawyers and i'm not sure because i'm not a gibson employee i don't i don't manage gibson well this is based I'm, on my experience with corporate law firms through my through my place right, of employment. but a, a company of their size they probably have their lawyers are retained they're 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 on a pretty permanent retainer or retainer, but they're retained. In other words, they're paying them a monthly fee of some a monthly stipend of some kind. Oh, I'll bet to, you. No, I'll bet you they're actually employees nowadays, because mm -hmm. be, because there there's a lot of reasons why. 
but but I'm willing to bet that their employees over there. That company is big enough. They've got enough subsidiaries. They they have a they have an on staff legal department. Almost well, all the big companies like they're on staffing now for that stuff because it's it's just too expensive to go outside. It is. Yeah. So, um, but that's be that as it may. There's a lot of there's a lot of cost involved in that, and I, but I'm still not sure that that cost is so much that it's getting passed on to us as, as higher bills come next year in 2020. I don't think I don't think that's realistic. I think Gibson cuz cuz just hearing from other small builders who have been uh, approached by Gibson in the past for things like this, uh, I have a feeling their legal department is extremely active over there. So I have a feeling we're already paying those bills. <laughs> um yeah, that's that's another interesting thing that's come out of this. So like people are kind of like naming names and some of these small builders have been like approached by Gibson before to stop building something. Many small builders um, have been approached. And so that's an interesting concept because, you know, everybody acts like, well, Gibson didn't defend themselves for the last 40 years. We don't know how many letters went back and forth between them and, and Dean. And, and that, and that's an interesting thing. That's why I think the last time we talked about this on the show, I said, this is really not a place for public opinion to enter into this because we don't have all the information. They're not going to give us all the information. We may never have all the information. This may never actually make it to a courtroom. This may be something that gets settled out of court and, you know, people people are paid and some agreements are made and that's that. And that happens with these kinds of lawsuits. It it, it does. Um, however, I, they're, they're far enough down the path at this point that I think we're headed towards uh, towards actual arbitration. So it be interesting to see how this all pans out. Um, yeah. In, in terms of um, – you know, for the for the community at large, um, my concern is that since Gibson seems to be so out of touch, wh- one of the things that Gibson needs to be doing right now is getting in touch with who their market's going to be in the next ten to fifteen years. Right? Um, this is going to be really hard for a lot of people to hear. So, Jim, bear with me because I have a feeling you're going to ha- you're going to have a lot to say here in a minute after I say what I'm going to say. But Gibson does not have a market with millennials. Okay. I don't know a single person under the age of 30 right now who owns a Gibson that bought that bought it any other way than secondhand. And that's a problem. And now I say millennials, but what I mean is the, the generation after millennials, right? The the people that are keeping the fires going over at, at Fender right now, like those building those fires super high. And there's a couple of things I've noticed. Like Fender is doing a, tragi- uh, uh, um, a terrific job marketing to women. They're doing a terrific job marketing to young people. They're doing um, a terrific job marketing to entry level people, and I don't. I just don't see Gibson's efforts that that way over there. Like they're more focused on selling to the people that have been buying Gibsons for a really long time, their core audience. Now, I, first off, I don't have the marketing expertise and and have their numbers to know who they're actually going to be able to sell to, but I would suspect that. If Fender is, is is making a clear delineation and changing their model to kind of fit what's going on in the industry and what's going on in the world at large, mm-hmm. I it, it's kind of shocking to me that Gibson isn't. What does Fender know that Gibson doesn't? Or is it re- is it really just that the groups of people that will buy the two distinct brands are that different? I I have a hard time believing that. That's why I'm saying like I don't have all the marketing statistics behind that. But go ahead. And so, yeah, I, I obviously don't have a big connection to a millennial group of, of anyone. So 
I represent older gigging musicians when it comes to what I know and who I know. So, um, and you guys are still buying Gibsons. And we're still buying Gibsons. But I can tell you this. So how can I, how can I say this? The, the large, a larger number of musicians my age look to Fender more than Gibson. You'd, you'd be, you'd be shocked probably. Yeah. And I think to it's, re I think it's largely regional too, though. Are in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know anybody on the West coast. Well, I'm, I know people on the West coast, but not that many people were uh, East coast wise, um, at least uh, North Atlantic and or, uh, the Atlantic and up um, it, it, for the most part, there's a lot of, um, of players who do. And the ones who own Gibsons, they don't own standard. They no. own a studio or they own an SG or they own a, um, you know, a uh, tribute. Well, who owns a standard now? They were $3,500 for five years. <laughs> um, yeah. So for the most part, the guys I know that even do play Gibsons are playing. Um, I got, I got a friend who has a standard or a studio and his is from 1978. He's the only owner. That's his one guitar. That's, that is it. You know, it's that uh, uh, jukebox hero, one guitar, strung way down low, um, especially since he's only like five foot three. Um, <laughs> and it looks and it looks huge on him. I mean, he, I'm like, why don't you go to an SG? Like, no, no, I've always, had, I've always played this. And you can see it. I've shown pictures of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a really good guy, really, really nice guy. And uh, But anyway, um, yeah, the, the guys I know, they don't lug standards in and out. They lug studios. And... Um, uh, so the studio is kind of a misnomer. Um, so, and I, the other guy I know, uh, I, I know a few guys that play STs, but for the most part, the people I know, if they've got, um, more than one guitar, they've got more than one Fender, one Gibson, more than one Fender. I know. Um, so I, the, I know around here, um, I got a lot more attention when I was playing my SG and I, and at one gig no less, right? Like I went to one thing and I had people coming up to me, Ooh, that's a nice, you know, that's a nice Gibson or whatever. I I've had, I've been playing fenders for how long? Uh, almost, you know, 10 years prior to that. Yeah. And I don't think I ever got anybody come up and go, that's a really nice fender. No, like it, it, it it's, there's something it's, about the Gibson, you know, the Gibson mindset. I and, think it's because the fender, again, the fender is ubiquitous. So it's like, yeah, Exa exactly. So, you know, I, I bet you, uh, I bet you, even among musicians, this is the funny thing. So, I can tell you that among musicians, most of them don't know Paul Ritzman. They just don't. I can, I can talk to 12 guitar players, and eight of them won't know who Paul Ritzman is. And the other ones have never heard of their guitars. They, they, maybe, maybe in your age group. I mean, mine, yeah. no, it's, it's like Fender and Gibson and Paul Ritzman. Well, that's what and, I'm saying. Yeah. And then, and then if you take it, if you take it a step further to, you know, you got the, you got the snippers, there's always a cork sniffer in the group, but for the most part, people don't even know who Paul Ritzmith is. I have to explain these birds to people who have been playing for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, um, you take the other side of it. So some friends and I, uh, mine and I were hanging out at a, a club last night. All right. So two guys from England. Okay. Mm -hmm. They were, they grew up in England. 
um, up to their teens and then moved over here. So they've been here for 40 years, but before that they were English. Um, then the, the, um, uh, uh, the other two, one guy from uh, Austin, Texas, and then myself from New York, we're all sitting there, and the only thing we all had in common was fenders. Yeah, yeah. Well, but so that, a lot of that has to do with the price tag. Um, and and the other guy, there was a fifth guy. Okay. Um, and he had a mirror, and um, uh, he's having he's sending it back to to PRS to have him look at it. But um, he has nothing bad to say about it. It's just there's something going on, and he, he wants to have him look at it. But anyway, um, all night long, vendor. And, and I'm just saying that, and that guy, local, local, um, California, uh, Virginian. So all I'm saying is it's, it's, <clears throat> yeah, this is piecemeal and little pieces, but for the, for the most part, at least on the, on the, um, cover band circuit, or even these guys were originals last night. Um, it's better. And so nobody's going to walk up to you and say, that's an awesome vendor because it's just a strap. It doesn't matter what pickups you got in it. It doesn't matter what wood it's made of. They don't care if it's got, you know, what it is, unless it's got maybe like a, um, the one guy had a whammy bar last. He had, well, he had a um, uh, floating, or I mean, a, um, uh, locking bridge. Yeah, flo a Floyd. Locking. Yeah, yeah. Floyd on it. But other than that, it, it, nobody, they don't stand out, neither do Telecasters. Nobody even notices I have three pickups until I go, yeah, and I got this third. Oh, wow, I didn't even see that. I didn't even see that. I'm looking right at it. I didn't even see it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's well, better to to me so, and to a lot of people. So here's here's the thing that that I'm I'm probably going to pull out that that may not shock a lot of our listeners, but I don't think that people gig Gibsons I, anymore. Very very few. I mean, like obviously, so there are people I know that do. Like obviously, Nick Bongers, he's a big Gibson guy, and he's got several, um, and he plays them out. And many of those are actually vintage guitars. Um, or, or approaching vintage. Um, and what's really funny about it is that I think a lot of the people who play Gibsons play them at home, they buy yeah. them and they're, and they got two or three of them in their house and they're, and they're not. Okay. So they're, they're, I want to say they're upper middle class. Right. Um, right. and, and I think that's where the vast majority of their money lies. Now, who, who do you think would be upper middle class at that in that age like it's going to be that age group that we're talking about right now but it's not the guys that are playing in bars for for money it's the guys that are playing in their house for fun right for the most part a person that's that's i, I i'm actually i um i'm rehearsing tomorrow with a with a new group of people that um uh the guy that's starting this thing is upper middle class he's he's quite wealthy but um the uh for the most part you know we're all middle class middle middle class um so uh if you take um the income level let's say ninety thousand dollars eighty five ninety thousand i don't call that upper middle class at all um so if you if you took that group of people we're not out spending that much money on our guitars for the no. most part right no and so if um um if you look at at the uh, at the age group, though, I think that that's like you said. That's really where um, their market lies. So they don't, for the most part, they, 
people of, of my age, and they don't listen to podcasts. They could care less. No. And they are not watching YouTube chat. They don't have a YouTube feed. Nope. They could give a flying rat's ass about Mark Agnesi's uh No, they video. don't even know that that happened. No. Matter of fact, just because I'm a people person, I'm a people watcher, I like to ask, I asked, Hey, you guys hear about the the Dean or the, the Marshall Dean co- or I mean the, the uh, Dean, Gibson, the, yeah, Dean, the Gibson Dean, Dean controversy? controversy? Right. You know what they said? What are you talking about? That that was what are you talking about? Nothing. They're not. No. And then and they could not care less. And and the guys that I know that are playing Gibsons, like I said, they've been playing the same Gibson. The ones who do play them out have been playing that same Gibson since the seventies or early eighties. Yeah. They could care less. That guitar is a is a workhorse. It's beat to shit. They don't care. Excuse my language. They don't care um, uh, about another ding. That it's not the top they're worried about. All these all these beautiful tops that you see in, in Guitar Center or Sweetwater or whatever. That's not for a person that's playing out because the last thing you want is somebody to spill a beer out. Yeah. I've now, s- if you're if you're a church player, we're okay. I, I want to separate myself because I'm not from not because I wouldn't but because I don't You've done it <laughs> right I've done it that's where I can play my Gibsons but if you if you think I want to play where I'm going to get beer spelled on them or, or somebody I, I have people throwing ping pong balls I don't want I, I just don't want scratches yeah so um and that's a that's a whole other like conversation because I I think um I mean, I feel that way about a lot of my guitars, but I've just gotten to the point where it's like, you know what? Every ding tells a story, and I don't right. care anymore. Like, right. <clears throat> the only guitar that I actually did care about, um, I sold. It's it's boxed up behind me right now, and that's that, that Gibson SG. Um, and that's more or less because it was a Gibson. Like, in the back of my mind, like, when I was a kid growing up um, and starting on playing guitar, I was like, I want to get a Gibson. At some point in my life, I'm going to have a Gibson. And I bought it, and I was like, I, just, I don't understand. Like, I just don't really understand the whole allure of this. Um, and that's that's why I said, like, my generation, I don't think cares as much, as much about brand names and that kind of thing, which is why, no. which is funny because, like, I don't obviously want to play something with an Epiphone label on the headstock, but um, I'm not... I don't know that I'll ever own another Gibson. And honest, to be honest with you, if they don't change their marketing model, I don't know that anybody will own a Gibson in 20 years unless it's vintage. Because it's – and until they start marketing to a broader spectrum of people, you got to understand something about the, the baby boomers who've been buying these guitars. They're retiring. They're going on fixed incomes, which means in the next five to ten years, when the vast majority of them are out of the workforce – no one's going to have cash to spend on Gibsons. That's right. And the rest of us who do have a little bit of money right now are going to be paying higher taxes to take care of the baby boom. So that's a whole like this is an economic downturn question, and that's essentially what I'm what I'm talking about here is what do we do when the price of a product keeps going up, but the amount of money that you're going to have keeps going down because that's where we're headed. Which means that a company like Gibson, if you're going to continue to produce $2,500 guitars it, that are your quote-unquote standard, how are you going to stay afloat? I mean, honestly, I can see my income shrinking in the next 10 years to the point where I won't buy guitars over seven or 800 bucks. 
I could see myself getting there. And I, obviously right now I'm spe- like I, I, I'm selling a $1,000 guitar behind me. I have a $1,500 S500 next to me and I have a $1,500 Kiesel behind me as well. Um, I, I have, I'm no stranger to paying good money for guitars, but I just, I, I'm getting to the point in my life where I'm like, I just can't see myself doing this anymore. Um, and as I get older and the paychecks don't keep getting that much larger, I'm like, this kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Whereas the generation prior to us, you guys got raises when you were young, at least, and you made career moves that were giving you, you know, significantly more money plus inflation and all that, you know, like all the different things that happened between, you know, like I'm thinking about my parents specifically, um, you know, between 1970 and, and 19, you know, well, really 2019, my dad's still working. He's, he's probably going to be retiring this year. Um, you know, just thinking about the amount of money that he made when he started versus the amount of money he makes now. Like, I don't see those kinds of increases happening to me in the 40 years that I'm in the workforce. I have seen maybe a 15% increase since I got my first good gig. Total. I haven't had a raise in two years. Yeah. So it's it's a reality that a lot of us face and a lot of us are facing. Um, you know, and uh, so I'm looking at a career change soon. But <clears throat> the fact is that, that there's a lot of things that um, uh, we're doing as a society that makes um, the the price points of Gibson guitars, especially, unrealistic for almost all of the market. Um, and by taking that out, by take, by removing so many people from it, we've talked about this before. <clears throat> they still don't have that that guitar that can compete with, as we talked about, the de facto strap. Mm-hmm. You don't have a you don't have a Les Paul. The defect that that competes with a Stratocaster, nowhere, no, nowhere. You can look at the tribute model and you could say, "Oh well, I got, we got the tribute," but <laughs> that's <clears throat> that's saying the bare bones. That that's not apples and apples. I our bare bones guitar to your high end guitar. I still laugh because at least high upper middle end. There's so many things that like Gibson over the years. I another podcast um, mentioned this. I don't recall exactly who, but they said, you know, Gibson really hasn't done much since the 1960s in terms of design innovation. And, and I mean, really between 1970, most of the models that they sell today were designed pre-1970. Think about that. 335s, SGs, Les Pauls. These um, are, yeah, they're pre-64. Yeah. I mean. They're pre-60. I mean, when you think about it, the SG was 1960 or 61. Was it 61? Think about a 61. So you're looking at <clears throat> the SG being a 61 model. Um, you've got the Les Paul being the early 50s model. Okay. And nobody really wants anything past the Les Paul standard. All right. So I want to I wanna uh, kind of take a step back from this. And I want and I want to say something personal opinion here. I don't want anybody who's listening to me and my comments about Gibson, the brand and all of that to, to think for a second that I don't like the company. Like I, I, I may not like the company because of the way it's being run right now, but I do like the guitars. Like I played Les Pauls and SGs and all that stuff over the years. And some of the, I mean, I got an SG that I'm selling behind me. I'm not selling it because it says Gibson on the headstock. I'm selling it because I need to make room for something else. Um, 
and I have tremendous respect for those designs. I do think there are some little problems, but you know what, what bother, what bothers me and boggles my mind the most is that we have the Gibson has this mentality over there that like, they have to do everything the old school way as much as possible. Right. Um, yet they're seeing, seeing bodies. So it's like, well, which is it? I, I, I personally, I don't care how you make the guitar as long as it's good. Right. So that means you have to see and see the body, pluck the neck, make sure, you know, do all the stuff you have to do to make the quality higher and lower the cost. I'm, I, if you want hide glue and a guitar that was shaped by hand and a hand carved top, go to the custom shop. That those guitars are for you. Those guitars are not for the people who actually like want to be able to take a guitar to the club and play, you know, a twelve song set or a fourteen song set, and not have to worry about the guitar getting beer spilled on it or you know those kinds of things. Like, I, I personally, I don't care. I would gig. I would go buy a you know twenty five hundred dollar Les Paul standard and then gig it and gig it until the damn thing falls apart. Because that's how I am. Like I just guitars are meant to be played. If I if I pay for it, I'm gonna play it. Um, I don't worry about what they look like anymore. I don't. I mean, yeah, my guitars are in good shape. Um, I just don't really. I, I, they're in good shape because I don't beat them up. That's basically what it is. Um, but if I was out, you know, gigging, I'm sure my guitars would look awful, uh, which is fine like that i as long as they're playable and they sound good like i don't care um so i'm not that person for sure but um i just i think they need to get away from the idea of like we've got to do it all traditional dude tradition's over like they you you cannot produce you cannot be producing the guitars today the same way you did in 1970 you're not that company you are a you are a fortune 500 publicly traded company what are you doing? Because Fender figured that out a long time ago. Maybe Fender gets away with it because of the Model T of guitars. But, I mean, something's got to give here. Now Nick is going to send me a bunch of hate mail. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, there, there are people who um, who still want that. Uh, but, so, you've got you've to tell me. So, who are, I'm, a, I'm what they call, I'm at the very tail end of the, Depending on who you talk to, I'm actually uh, outside of that, but the tail end of the baby boomer. So I was born in the mid-60s, so um, there are some things that tell you that that's what, Gen X or something. Um, baby boomers are between 55 and 75 years old today, so between 1944 and 1964. Yeah, so I'm a baby boomer. You would um, be like what, towards the tail end of that though, right? I'm a tail end, the very tail end. Yeah, yeah. So you could be, so. you could be conceivably the generation after, you know, like right. um, whatever that was. I don't remember what that's called. Um, generation X, I think it was, or something like that. No. Yeah, I, you know what? I use the generational nomenclature, but the reality is, okay. I just mean the people that like made they were they were in the workforce back then, and right. and have continued to make money <clears throat> over the years. That's all I meant. Right. So if if you're looking at Someone who's younger than me. I mean, when is when is millennial? So a millennial would be you would be a millennial, yes, right? Correct. You would be, I'm on the tail. So end they're of born it. between um, when and when. Um, let me look it up because I want to make sure that we're using acceptable years. Um, yeah. So millennials were born between 1981 and 1996, and okay. I was born in '84. So my daughter's at the tail end of the lines. Um, 
All right. So if you if you look at that, those numbers and that, that I mean, um, geez, I, I guess you know the the, uh, the the stuff that we're talking about. That um, someone who was born in would you say 1981? I believe. Yeah. So in other words, someone who would be young enough to be my kid. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, uh, I turned 21 in 85. So you're looking at, um, geez, yeah, it, it just makes sense that, uh, I mean, except for the tail end of that, when were you born, 87? I was born in 84. 84, okay. So you were born in 84. You're towards the tail, you're towards the beginning of that, which means yeah. you're at the, you're at the you know, you're one of the older millennials. Right. Um, so you have an income that would, depending on where you lived and so on and so forth, that would be okay with buying a Gibson. Yeah. I mean, I could own two of them. I mean, or, yeah. or three of them. I mean, okay. it's, but and, yeah. and I could buy one conceivably every other year. But right. would I do that? Because in all actuality, like, I'm not just playing guitar. And the other thing is like, I like amps and stuff too. So, right. and I think people need to realize like that the, the, the culture that came before <laughs> us didn't have this plethora of other devices that got used to make music, right? Think about music in the 1970s. Like when you heard a phaser on a record, it was like, whoa, you know? Um, nowadays, like that stuff's so common, you know, your guitar playing kit has like increased massively. I can remember seeing guys... Um, you know, when they'd show their, their rigs and magazines or whatever, when I had the old guitar players, I'd get the, the secondhand shop and they would, it would be like, literally like, they wouldn't even have an overdrive. It would be like a wah pedal and like an amplifier. Yep. <laughs> you sit there yeah, and shake Tom, your head. You're like, what? Tom Schultz was the uh, edge of my day. Yeah. So he was the guy from Boston, for those who don't know who Tom Schultz is. So he would, he would have all the stuff on his, his uh, tracks. Um, but most people were were more like Angus Young, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they may or may not have a delay. And if they did, believe it or not, folks, they were mostly on. Yeah. If they had a delay pedal live, it was pretty much on all the time. Yep. And that's because they didn't have a lot of it. So it didn't really mess with the rhythm that much. So you'd have a boost. Um, which sometimes either included, um, believe it or not, hitting another head. Yeah. And you'd have two heads going or um, they would, you know, because most, you know, the master volumes was what, 70s when those came about? Yeah, early 70s. So of those guys that I was talking about last night, um, all but two of us had an amplifier they bought in the 60s or had that was built in the 60s. So that's. That just shows you, and and those two amplifiers, they were both, what brand do you think they were? Fenders. Fenders. They were both Fenders. One was a twin. You know why and, I know that? Um, because if you bought an amp in the 60s here in the United States, you bought a Fender. Yep. It was a twin reverb. <clears throat> well, the guy from England, uh, but he bought his in the 70s, but it was still a 60s um, uh, silver face. Yeah, because so, they were probably just sitting over there. Yeah. Or it was a black. Which one's older, silverface or blackface? Uh, so the silverface or newer. Blackface is older. Okay, blackface. It's a blackface circuit in a silverface. They were, 
His is like a yeah, transition, they transition a- right? Because yeah. the first uh, the first year they were still using the same circuit, which, if I recall, is an AB seven sixty three. Someone correct me up on, on that if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's the one he was talking about. So they both had one of those, and um, so that I mean, just just saying. Yeah, I mean you, you, that's a holy grail, and for me, I've because um, I'm I'm thinking it because I you know I've, I've bought the Kemper and I'm like talking about I'm keeping it for the next three years, and I'm definitely going to keep it for for that long. Um, it has not changed one iota in my in my worldview. Um, I could see myself mustering the cash to buy a vintage deluxe reverb when I come out of this. Um, but do you know? Do you know that neither one of them has kicked that amp to use? Oh yeah, no. I, it, a, this would be an at-home it, amp. This is not one exactly. I would take take out anywhere. It would be for me yep. and my personal enjoyment in the house. Yep. But we did all say none of us were able to um, uh, warm up to really using a modeler on stage. Yeah, that was everybody. The only it's still hard. The only one that I found that works is the Kemper, mm-hmm. and it's because yeah, it it's because it's a snapshot. Yeah. I mean, I, Je- Jeff and I sat down last weekend at at um, Good Time, and we plugged my Kemper into a, a two by twelve vertical recto cab, right? And we we were both pretty impressed, I think, with some of the sounds that 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 they gave me in the box. Um, but I mean, like he and I, we're, we're tube snobs. Like, let's be honest. Um, we know that it's not the same thing, but we know it's, but we also kind of know it's good enough. And it's, it's like, well, if I could push the cab hard enough and it's got 600 Watts. So that's a no brainer. Uh, it it should be the same. I mean, it really should. Um, the only difference of course, is that, you know, I'm not using any cab modeling. And I still think, I still think that's a big hurdle for a lot of uh, the older generation in modeling. Like, is to understand exactly how to use it, because these these devices are not simple, right? I mean, you can spend hours in the Helix just messing around with things, and like dialing in, you know, the right amount of uh, power amp sag and stuff like that. Um, but who wants to do that? And for the generation prior that like, put, but let me put it in perspective for you, right? We all have somebody in their, between, between the ages of 50 and 70, who's got an iPad or an iPhone that we have to help them out with regularly. You're podcast listeners. I'm assuming that you have enough wherewithal that you're probably the guy that get or guy or gal that gets asked to, you know, help sort out these right. issues with somebody else. So think right. about that for a minute. Those are the same people that are buying high-end gear, right? Right. So the the modeling stuff, like, of course, I could definitely see guys that have AB763 Deluxe Reverbs sitting there, or, or, tw- or twins sitting at home, like, going, yeah, modeler doesn't work live. I have an interesting perspective that I is only a guess as well. I'm wondering, older folks who have been playing for a long time and have a lot of stage uh, time, especially in my era, didn't exactly take care of their hearing. That's so a good part of it. I'm wondering if the if the reason that the modeler doesn't uh, make the cut is because 
the um, of that right there. What we're talking, yeah, about. they like so people who people who cannot hear the high frequencies probably pay more attention to the low mids and the lower stuff and the the actual thump that you get from something. I'll tell you this: I had my Kemper on my in my Mark Five, like back to back, right? Literally just pulling the cable out, swapping it over um, to my cab, which is probably not good. But I was hitting the standby in between, right? So ho- hopefully my my stuff's good. But um, yeah. I did this, and and I I couldn't tell the difference when the volumes were equal. But I'll tell you what: the Kemper can sound just as loud without the volume actually being equal. Which is a weird phenomenon because the speakers weren't pushed as hard, right? And I could yeah. I could tell the difference. I was like, well, this doesn't sound as good as I thought it would. And then I turned it up. And I was like, oh, yep. there it is. Speaker breakup. Like, and it just came live. And I was like, okay. So yeah, this is this is the, the end. But I think a lot of it, so I know that that people are gonna, you know, people are gonna poo-poo this, but because because nobody wants to hear that their ears suck or that they're wrong. But the reality is that there is a bias that goes on with this stuff because we've been told there's there's a bias to go on with this stuff, right? I, there's certainly a psychological piece of using an amplifier versus using a digital apparatus. I'm going to agree with that uh, to a point. I'm also going to agree if someone told me that – older person isn't willing to spend the time to dial in tones on a piece of equipment that's digital because just like you were talking about you if you've got to help them with an ipad imagine the amount of assistance you'd have to give them with a camera oh it'd be nightmare it would be nightmarish right and they would never understand they just because i see it all the time screw it just give me my old stuff i don't care i just want the old stuff i want it the way it used to be I don't care. They're, and I've been there. I, I have I got two. To I have two. I, I, when I got to that point, I was like, all right, Jim, shut up and settle down. Because you, you've got to realize that, that if you don't listen to yourself, you're going to sound stupid. And you really sound stupid right now when you're doing this. So, yeah, I, I have to agree that there are times when I, I do the same thing. I go, all right. So – I don't want to try it. I don't want. I just don't want to try it. Matter of fact, that's what's kept me from, for years and years, going to one hundred percent because I just. So there's there's a bias to it. I can't give it up. There's a bias to it, right? Mm-hmm. And that and that and that's fine. Um, I don't think anybody's going to fault anybody for 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 like you know sticking to what they know, right? That's right. that's. I would I would anticipate that ninety five percent of the pros out there would not be looking at something like the Kemper to replace what they've been using and relying on for the last, you know, well, what, however long their career's been. Um, because let's face it, that's that's pretty much, you know, how, how most guitar players operate. Like, you're not going to go up to Angus Young and convince him that he should use a Kemper, right? Like, right. it's never going to happen. Even if I could get this thing to sound just like his, his uh, KT-66 loaded Marshalls, it's never going to happen. Nope. And it not in many years. That is a guy who won't change the brand of batteries. Yeah, dude, like I'm sure he's probably still wearing the same business. underwear he toured with like yeah. forty years ago too. Um I bet you that's the same hat yeah, he's been wearing. Probably the same schoolboy outfit, you know. <laughs> it's like his sister made him back then. Yeah. Um I I mean I'm not 
so I'm not uh, trying to trying to poo poo anybody that does the traditionalist thing. And like, I get it. No. In fact, um, some of the best amp sounds you're ever going to find are in those traditional senses. Um, you know, going back to those old vintage stu- things, like I've, I've heard a lot of vintage amps over the years and um, the ones that come to mind are the ones that were like old and beat up and really good. Um, I don't remember as much of the new stuff I played. Um, right. and it's, I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said about character, but I, I also think just like in guitars, we attach a lot of significance to something being old, not something being good. Um, and right. we've, we've had this conversation on the show before where people are like, Oh, vintage Fender, vintage Fender. Listen, yeah, seventies era fenders are garbage. Most of them are awful. There might be one out of 10 that's worth it. Um, and the prices of them are getting to the point where it's like, what? Actually, you're pushing it from 69 forward. Well, I would right? think... Was I would it think 69 the, or was it 70? The first couple of the, years of CBS production were okay. Because it was leftover parts from the Fender production. Well, that's part of it, but I think it's also the fact that like they still had some of the same people working there. Right, And, right. and that that's kind of stuff. Of and like... After you know, after the handover, like with any company, a period of time passes, and of course, many of those people have moved on. That the company has changed designs, they've changed the product right. line. Like that's that's what it ultimately comes down to. Um, and uh, in Fender's case, they just clearly did not have a handle on what the market wanted, um, which is nope. why the company was like heading for bankruptcy and everything else. Um, that's right. So. I mean, look at their amplifiers. They they went to the Silverface line, and then they just tried to make everything as loud and as clean as possible in the heyday of hair metal. Like, what were they thinking? I, what were they thinking? Well, you know what? The Fender, if you remember, Fender was, okay, Gibson was jazz, and jazz was nose in the air. And as much as people want to call um, PRS the doctor lawyer thing, um, Gibson was the doctor. No, lawyer Gibson is still Gibson is still and the doctor still, lawyer thing. <laughs> that's right, and it's still where Fender had a foothold in the people like Hate Marvin and uh, you know uh, the the country western folks like James Burton, and so um, you know Gretsch had a handle on the, the jazz box guys too. So you look at jazz. Um, uh, Gretsch prices. Now, people who think, oh, Fender is Gretsch. No, Gretsch is not Fender. Um, for those who don't know, it's Fender just, it's just distributed distributes by it. It is still owned by the Gretsch family. But anyway, um, so the uh, the Gretsch, or I mean, the, um, the Fenders were back then and, and just to today, they were the budget guitar. Yep. They really were. And so if you look at it, Fender was Fender was country western. Country western did not go hard in the eighties. Matter of fact, you had bands. What were your big eighties um, country bands? So you had uh, Alabama. You had um, uh, Garth Brooks. Uh, late, yeah, late eighties, uh, really. Yeah, him. but um, let's see. Early eighties was uh, you know the guys who were backing up people like Kenny Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, not Tom Jones. What's the guy's name? Jones. Uh, he had, uh, he stopped loving her today. And yeah, I can't like, remember. 
Um, and you had Conway Twitty was still going, and you had Dolly Parton was still going. You had it um, was a lot of legacy acts, acts from the yeah. prior generation that were still like doing it. You know? Yeah, because they they hadn't done it was it was Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, those yeah. guys that kind of brought in. That was when uh, what's that guy the the hot telly player now? Um, Paisley. Uh, huh? Paisley. No, not um, Paisley. I was say, he's late. He's Paisley. a little bit later. He's like another five years. Yeah, down the, road. The, the guy that was on all those albums. I mean, he was on all. Um, oh crap! I'm not James Burton. Um, his, his Brian Mason. Ah. Um, so you had Brian Mason. Brian Mason was the voice of a voice of Fender. So, in other words, what hung Fender in the? You remember they were they were going under, like you said. But they didn't ride that wave, which actually helped them later because when guys like Brian Rayson came out and then people saw the guys from Books and Dunn, they were they were wearing what? Fenders. You know, uh, Alan Jackson was was wearing a fender. You know, and the guys behind Alan Jackson were fenders. And the guys behind Garth Brooks were, were playing fenders. And so those those people were the popular musicians of the time, especially when people who weren't really grunge fans jumped off of um, rock as it moved um, uh, out of heavy metal, or I mean uh, hair metal, into that weird, you know, way of, of, oh, we want to get rid of solos. But a lot of people still liked it. And so they were they were out there watching um, watching bands like that. Who's his name? Uh, oh, crap. It's, it's terrible. I can't remember um, all these names. Uh, you don't need to remember. It's fine. I'd rather not. But it's, it's just all these, <laughs> yeah, but all these telly players and all these strap players that were making it cool. And the thing was that um, a lot of, um, let's uh, look at the guys my age, right? We're going into our 30s now. And here comes uh, here comes these guys playing Fenders. And who was our favorite Fender player? That was that was Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. right up through 94, right? He passed away in 94. Uh, so, no, he, he died in 89. Or 91. 91. In 91, yeah. I think it was 91. Yeah. I think it was 91, August or September of 91. So um, uh, we had Stevie Ray Vaughan. We had Jimi Hendrix. We had Eric It's 1990, August 27th. Oh, 90. Okay, so even earlier. So you've got um, all these folks that um, we were fans of, you know, because I, I turned 30 in 94. So I'm heading into my 30s. I'm still wanting to hear solos. And right at 1990, that's when, you know, we had the fabulous Thunderbirds. We had all that. Yeah. And all I'm trying to say is that Fender had a foothold still in those players that never left. You know, and and um, that's a uh, there's something to be said for that. No, I, I honestly, I think I don't. So I don't. I, I think we're I think we're kind of doing a disservice to comparing like Gibson and Fender here because they really right. we we've established on the show before that they're not the same thing, and no. and number two. They don't have the same audience. Number three, um, the only reason we would be comparing them is because the business size, right? They're the two biggest companies in in musical instruments, Pro probably musical instruments. Period, right? Yeah. Um, maybe next to somebody like a, I, I I would suspect that there's probably you know a hidden big company out there, somebody like Behringer or somebody like yeah, um, Yamaha. Yamaha, right? I was just thinking. Um, that may actually be bigger because they have a hand in the piano business um, or, you know, they, they do pro audio as well. But basically, as far as guitars are concerned, these two companies are it, right? Um, right. And it's funny because, like, stop and think, 
pretty much every design on the market is somehow derivative of something Fender or Gibson had done. Either right. it's a two single coil pickup style guitar, a la Dan Electro, which is kind of a knockoff of, you know, American style guitars of the time, um, being Telecasters and Stratocasters and things like that. And then you've got, you know, um, Supro, which was kind of also in that vein. And you have like, if you start going into the more modern stuff, you've got, you know, all these different brands that have basically done complete Fender, you know, like here's here's our version of a Fender, right? Um, and the same thing's happened with Gibson, right, over the years. And yeah. we've got companies like Dean, which, by the way, Dean started off making copies of Gibson guitars originally. That's right. Um, God, I'd love to see that paperwork because something just occurred to me. So we all know Dean's changed hands like six times, right? Um, yeah. And I think the company that owns it now hasn't owned them very long. And yeah, I'll yeah. bet you they had an agreement or an arrangement with prior companies. I would love to see that court paperwork because I have a feeling yeah. that everybody out there with their armchairs right now saying pundits, you know, the, the, those same pundits are saying, oh, well, you know, they should have sued them 40 years ago. If you ain't seen the paperwork, you may not know they already did, you know, and, and it never got to court. You may not know that they had a backdoor arrangement where somebody was paying them a licensing fee. That's very possible, um, especially in this industry, paying somebody a little bit of money to make them go away. Um, it's not unheard of. Um, in fact, I've heard crazy dealings with other companies like PV uh, in their Viper series of amps hiring another company who makes another series of modelers coming in and doing consul and consulting work to design the Viper series for them. They hired a competitor to design an amp for them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how crazy this industry can be at times. Um, so I, they, I would not be surprised at all to find out that there is a long history of behind closed doors negotiations between Dean and Gibson. And this is just the latest in a long line of like, we're not going to let this stand anymore. You know, this is getting, this is getting nuts. Um, you know, they're not the only company out there that's knocking off Gibson designs either. Um, even yeah. Yamaha in the, in the early two thousands had, uh, had a line of guitars, uh, single cuts that were very less Paul like. Um, and I think there's a little bit of, People apprehensive about the fact that, of course, Fender has lost lawsuits um, against companies over the body shape because they're like, well, the body shape's in the public domain. The only thing that matters is your headstock. That was a court ruling that Fender got at one point. But that doesn't mean that applies yeah. to Gibson, okay? No. So, no. I mean, that's just said. We can sit here and we can discuss this more until we're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, it's a lawsuit. Court of law is going to have to figure it out. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it may be good or bad for, for guitar players. Like, um, I honestly don't really give a damn about what happens to Dean. Um, I don't think Dean has never been a guitar company I've been interested in. Um, I'm just not, I'm not like, I just have never picked up a Dean that I liked. Um, and I don't think they no. make guitars that really appeal to me. So if something no, happened to no Dean, big. no big deal. Um, that's got to be the ugliest headstock 
outside of maybe a couple. I, that BC, BC Rich would be a company I'd be more concerned about. But, it, but I think BC Rich, BC Rich has not had a renaissance yet. So yeah. we, we, we've seen this already, Jim, where a guitar company makes a bunch of designs and they're super popular when they come out and everybody's excited about them. And then for 20 years, nobody buys them. And then all of a sudden, there's this nostalgia thing, and it's like, I want that guitar. And that's what's going on yep. with Kramer right now, and that's what's going on with Charvel right now. And That's right, because people my age are all of a sudden, they're in their 50s, and they want one because they're you – They know, didn't have one when they were a kid. They wanted one, but they didn't right. have one. They might have had a Tisco or something, you know. And it's right. like, now I want that guitar that I always oh, now wanted. Now I need a Kramer. Oh, man, Kramer's – guys who never owned a Kramer, okay, people my age who never owned a Kramer, all of a sudden need one because that was an awesome guitar. They don't know. They don't know that, that most of those things were were um, modded and, and set up to within an inch of their lives. They have no idea. It just They're just like, oh, but, but my guitar hero played one, so it must be good. So I got to go get one. Yeah. And, well, that's, or maybe they true. played one when they were a kid at the store and they were like, oh, I got to right. have one now. That stuff happens. And yeah. and it's a lot more common than we could realize, which is why I think Fender is also sort of having a renaissance right now. Is if you look at who's the pop, what was the popular equipment in the grunge movement? It's Sonic Youth right. playing like um, they were playing like the 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 uh, offsets and yeah. humbuckers, right? Um, which is a yeah. pretty common thing that Fender does now. You had guys like Kurt Cobain who was playing, you know, um, the a, the jazz thing. Well, he had that, but. Before before he did the Jagstang thing, which I don't think he actually ever owned one. He was playing Jazzmasters a lot and uh, Jaguars a lot. He also had yeah. and played most of the live stuff where you could see him, like physically see him. He's playing Stratocasters, the humbuckers in him, yeah, and uh, and or single coils, you know, and and that whole movement. Like those guys were buying those guitars because you could get them for cheap in the pawn shop. A lot of them were seventies, and right. as we said, seventies was. Not a great era for Fender, but yeah, they were getting them for you know pennies on the So dollar. what would end up happening is like you've got this whole generation who now twenty five years down the line are have enough buying power to actually drive an industry, and they're going. I want the guitars that that you know the guitar heroes that I liked were playing. So here's a, here's an interesting story. I was speaking to one of the guys last night who was from Austin, Texas. Who were we talking about earlier? Stevie Ray. From Austin, Stevie Ray. Texas? That's right. Stevie Ray and Eric so, Johnson from Austin, Texas, and uh, ZZ so Top as well. My friend's 66 years old. Now, he, he used to go to the, the store that sold Stevie Ray the, the guitar, famously turned into number one. Now, that's not a big deal. It's not a story. I mean, everybody's been to that. Yeah, a lot of people have been to that store in the past, but he was going there at the same time. But of course, Stevie Ray Vaughn was just another dude playing guitar at that time. But the funny thing is, the guy that sold that guitar to the store was Christopher Cross. Yeah, I've heard that. So that, <laughs> so that's the that's the dude. Now, here's the interesting thing that that I want to say about the guitars that are famous throughout history. Most of them are not top shelf guitars. That that um, strap that Stevie Ray Vaughan bought it's kind of a throwback. Not, not a top shelf strap, right? It was a throwback, but not a top shelf. If you think about it, way back in the 60s, I say way back, in the 60s when these strats were being built, in the 50s, um, was this, what was the year the strat first got introduced? Uh, 56, 57. 55? 57? Okay. I knew it was mid-50s. So 
when they were putting these together, nobody knew at that time I'm putting together a guitar that might might be worth tens of thousands of dollars later. They they yeah. just knew they were doing their job. So if you look at look at the the guitar that Jimi Hendrix um, Jimi Hendrix played two guitars one night. One he burned. He burned it because it would not stay in tune. It was pissing off. So he laid it down. And he burned it. Right. A whole bunch of stories as to why. But one of them was that. The the point is that these things weren't cherished. They were used. And then you take Kurt Cobain. What was his What was his um, guitars before they started building the Jack stains for them. It was just pawn shop straps and, and uh, um, Jack Univox or, uh, and Jack. Univox's high flyers. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you look at uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, like I said, he bought a uh, he bought a guitar at a pawn shop. Just, or I mean, not a pawn shop, but a guitar shop that just happened to come in, and it was it was good timing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It could have been anybody else that walked into that shop, but it was it was him that got this guitar that 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 became number one. So if you look at if you look at the guitars through history, I don't care who who you look at. David Gilmore didn't buy that black strat because it was it was famously, you know, it was just interesting. Yeah, he didn't know it was going to be seven. It was going to sell for three million dollars. Yeah, three point eight million dollars, some ridiculous yeah. thing like that. And I guess what was it? The guy that owns the Colts or something bought it. That wouldn't. Or the Broncos. Who cares. One of the two, and he said he's going to play. Yeah, it. right. It's going in a vault. Yeah, that's cool. If he plays it, then he'll put it away. Yeah, then he'll put it in, um, in a vault, pump all the air out, and you know, kill the yep. soul. But the point is that uh, you know, none of these guitars were infused with some special magical medium. It's just a guitar that that felt good and and sounded good at the time, and and you you make of it what you put into it. So I'm looking at the the Harley Benton. So I'm switching gears. That's what I was doing. <laughs> so I'm going to have to buy. Yeah, I forgot that you were going to buy one, right? I forgot about that. Yeah, so I am. I almost forgot about that. Next couple weeks. So I am going to order one. I don't know how long it take. I don't really care. Point is, I am going to order it. I'm going to get that gold. On um, top of the P90s? SC. Yeah, 450. They call it the SC. I imagine that single cup. 450 P90 GT Classic Series gold. Gold top. And, and so, yes, I'm going to do it. So you guys can make fun of me at that point. I'm, um, I'll make fun. No, I'm not. I won't do that to you. You're not going to make fun. No, because I, I have a red unicorn. Because you have a red unicorn. Plus, I mean, you've played them. So you know whether or not they're um, I consciously considered getting uh, the uh, fusion. That's another one I consider. If they did the fu if they well. did fusions in flat colors, I'd be like, "All right, I'm game. I'll try it." Yeah. But they don't. Why is it? What turns you off about the color schemes that they're, they're using? Now? Ugly, man. Hey, let me see if I can um, pull it up while we're talking. So they have a couple of different versions of the fusion, but the uh, the one that I see commonly is like this photo flame thing that's ugly. Um, and then they also do the HH. Yeah, that's the HSH, but, um, okay. They do like pretty much every possible Ew. configuration of pickups. You could want to win. The green is ugly. Um, the, yeah, the, the clean, that, that clear is not great looking. The red is okay. The purple looks, I right. could do the red. 
Yeah, we'll do the rat. And it's got a goto on it. I should not be looking at this right now. Yeah, I like nothing the, for three like years. Nothing for three years. The FPU doesn't look bad. Nothing for three years, except for this. I mean, uh, nothing for three years. That's right. Except for this guitar right here. No, I need a I need a seven <laughs> string, so that pretty much counts the fusion out. Although I could probably just email them and they'd be like, "Yeah, we'll make you a seven string." I'm sure. I'm sure. I, they don't make a seven string. No, not in the fusion. No. No. Yeah. So I'm looking at the at, at that guitar because uh, obviously P90 thing. Of course, the pickups probably won't stay. Probably no, they won't. Um, that's that's my opinion. They won't. Yeah, but if the guitar feels good, you know, I'm de definitely not gonna for two hundred dollars, less than two hundred dollars, actually, even with shipping, I'm not gonna send it back. No, no, no. I mean, it, it, I, w I wish I could find one on like, uh, um, what's the, the reverb? You know, <laughs> you know what? You're you're gonna be pleasantly surprised. Cause I think it's gonna be slightly better than you think it is. It's gonna be like yeah. your Affinity Tele. Which, by yeah, the way, have you yeah. installed those I, I, tele pickups that uh, Nick sent you yet? No, I got to do that. Yeah, this you week. definitely got to get. Man, that I've been, I have been. Oh yeah, I have been. Oh, sorry, Nick. Yesterday, so the the funny part is, I'm sorry, Nick. Uh, yesterday, I got stung all of my arm. What? This whole arm, yeah. I was mowing my lawn, and uh, I had uh, stuck my hand uh, in, you know, to move some brush. There's a bee, beehive, and beehive that I didn't even know I had, just all up my room. Screw that! Seriously. Screw that! I would be. Did you go to the emergency room? No, I'm not allergic. You sit there and scrape so out all the stingers. Hurt like crazy. Yeah, so I had to sit down and scrape, and it still itches like crazy. Oh yeah, it's gonna for days. Uh, Take some Benadryl. It's like having a. Yeah, it's like having a um. Uh, what do you call that? Poison there. Poison yeah. Ivy. I'm not allergic to poison ivy either. So it's one of those things. I can I can literally stick my hand in the you know, yeah. poison ivy and it wouldn't bother. But most most people are allergic to it, so it's it's not great. Yeah. The, anyway, yeah, the Harley Benton is something that I am gonna order here in, in the next couple weeks or so. And so when it comes in, we'll see. I gotta go I gotta get my hands on a um what do you call it? A sovereign would it, would it kill Toman to actually give us like uh, a color like selector? I know, right? You got to click. I mean, it's ridiculous. And... Their their website is awful. It is. Their website is terrible. Toman, fix your website, please. This is. I mean, this this is ridiculous. Steal just like you stole the body styles. Of the guitars, steal the code from uh, Guitar Center's website or Sweetwater's website, back we at, and give us the ability to to hover over the other color and see it in something other than a thumbnail, literally the size of a thumbnail. Give us, yeah. I mean, like, how am I supposed? I can't even see the color on these things. Oh, and I'm also looking at the black classic. You know what's funny is the B, the SC450 BK. Classic mm -hmm. is cheaper by twenty dollars. Isn't that weird? Or no? Yeah, uh, nineteen dollars. Then the then the gold top, the black one is cheaper than the gold top. Dude, I can't believe they went four hundred 
and forty dollars for a Harley Benton Fusion with a roasted maple neck. I know that's crazy. Yeah, but you're paying for the neck. Okay. BS. I mean, BS. You're paying for them. BS. Do, come I, on, you're paying for them to order a Warwick Maple Neck. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what that's a I Warwick mean, Neck. All day I could be completely honest with you. I have a big. I have a hard time thinking about ordering a four hundred dollar Chinese guitar. <laughs> it's like what? So I'm saying. So uh, um, I was watching um, to to shift gears a little bit. I was watching a video uh, from. Uh, we mentioned it last week from uh, Andertons, and they were they're giving away a guitar that they modded the living crap out of, right? And it's not the one that they modded at Toman that you saw. No, right. With, uh, what's his face? He came back to Andertons, and they modded the crap out of this, this squire. And so they took everything out. It was a really good playing squire. Took everything out. They put all the stuff in. And then they side by side it with a player series, right? Because the series was in the exact same price. By that point, the squire would cost more than the player series. <laughs> Here's what's funny: they both agreed the player was better. And then, actually, after they got done paying for all this stuff in it, then they played a squire, uh, the same squire, as pulled one off the rack. Played a squire. They were like, yeah, kind of. Is better without all the junk in it. <laughs> so they're still giving it away, but they actually liked it in a stock configuration. Um, in a stock configuration, it was funny. Both of them liked it in a stock configuration. Now, of course, Anderton is, and he admits it. He he is a straight up Thunder dude, and he loves his strats. He's a strat guy. But um, what I thought was what I thought was most interesting about that whole um, thing was this is what what Anderton said, and we've said this before. Like you were just talking about, I wouldn't pay four hundred fifty dollars for a, um, a Chinese guitar. Harley Benton Fusion, not a Chinese He's guitar, but a Harley Benton Fusion. Yeah, Harley Benton Fusion, same thing. Yeah, because um, it is a Chinese guitar, most basically. Um, the the um, the fact is that you could put ten thousand dollars worth of stuff into a Squire. It's still worth a Squire price when you go to sell it. Well, he said I. You are not getting more out of it. So you are better off pulling all the stuff out. That's why they said, make sure you save all your stuff, pull it back out, put your stuff, your original stuff back in, then get rid of it, and then sell the other stuff you off know, as you can. I never, so, I don't know. I'm just not a big part of the mod community. Like, I've done mods to guitars over the years either, or as well. Yeah. And I just feel like a lot of the time... Yeah, it becomes very player specific and player centric, and like you can do, you can you know Lego brick a guitar together if you really want to. Um, yeah, but I feel of course you could Warwick. Didn't uh, Bizadecki um, recently? He did a warm off. Uh, he did a warm off. Yeah, um, and it's it's great. But he but the thing is, yeah, he's a, like he ordered that as a player. It's the same thing as like ordering a Kiesel. Right. Um, right. It's I mean it's literally the same thing. Um, and he knew that was going to be a player's instrument. And I think if you're buying guitars sheerly based on the value, like you're doing it wrong because I mean, we're players. Like this is a player's podcast. This is not about. Right. We've talked about that before. Yeah. But at the same time, I get it. I mean, a lot of people buy a guitar thinking, you know, in three years, I'm going to upgrade. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to, if I'm still playing guitar, especially if you're a beginner, if I'm still playing guitar, then I'll sell this one off and get another one. Um, 
which they quickly realize that no, I'm not going to sell this one off. I'm just going to have five more. Um, right. I, you know what? I don't understand. And that's the point I was making, though, is that if you're buying that squire and then expecting to trade it in two years, then you put three don't or put don't put parts in it. in it. Just don't. You don't have to. Right. Exactly. You don't have to. It, there was a if time where you did. You weren't going to play out with a Squire Affinity. Like, it just wasn't going to happen because the tuners were not no. going to work right and, you know, all kinds of other, like, little little gotchas, like the, the pop That's stuff. Okay. Back in the early stuff, like, it was way worse, though, Jim. I, I can tell you right yeah. now, I like having picked up Affinities and stuff recently, um, they're not the same thing as what they were. I mean, I got a, I got an no. Affinity P base hanging in the bedroom, and it is garbage, hot garbage. Um, yeah. Th- being that being the case, of like the pickups have gotten better, and that's and that's really like the the big equalizer. I think the old old Squire pickups from like the midnight mid late nineties were pretty awful. Um, and now that they're better, like there's no reason to have to spend all that money to upgrade the guitar. Maybe do new tuners. That's it. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that that honestly, Maybe. that's the only thing that I really really need to change on that guitar. The well, tuners. I just and it's not because they're awful. They I can tune them. It's just they're not they're not me good. Is that does that make any sure. sense? They're they're good enough, just not quite good enough for Jim. You know You're used I mean? to using a, a higher class tuner, and so it's not like it's just not going to be cohesive enough for you. My old thing is like, so if I was to take um, like an Affinity Series guitar, right? Let's say I go to the store and I buy an Affinity Tele. Right. Now I've heard they're doing Alder bodies now, but they were doing Agathis before, and Agathis is like driftwood. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> driftwood from another country, and um. I, I hear this stuff and I'm like, you're going to put, if we go, if we go, let's, let's stop and rethink this. If we go through PRS's theory, right? Like you start off with a guitar that has all this potential, right? And, and you're using in the woods, like that you put together, have all this potential um, based on the selection. Then you would want to do things that would maximize what you're going to get out of the out of the actual physical properties of the wood because when you put in new pickups you're not adding to the guitar you're subtracting okay so in this case it you're filtering right with pickups and that kind of thing so when you're looking at a telecaster right and you're looking at an affinity tele with an agathis body and whatever region of the world maple uh for the neck and whatever rosewood Palfero, whatever's on that particular right. instrument. Fretboard, if if it has one of those. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that your $200 guitar is not going to have premium quality woods in it. And mm-hmm. there might be some knots. There might be some, I mean, there might be some dead spots that come out, uh, come about because of knots and things like that. Um, and that's why I'm like, yeah, you can put new pickups in it, but why? Like, there are yeah. specific cases like uh, Dan Kish's um, Harmony. He's got a Harmony Stratocaster, uh, which is probably late 70s, I would think. Um, where, yeah, it's a plywood body, but it but there's something going on with that guitar. Like, it, it, it just got, he got lucky, right? Like, he ended up with it was really good. Um, which, yeah, that, I'm sure that happens. 
but not everybody because because everybody mods their squires, right? Like not everybody has that kind of guitar. You know what I mean? Where they got lucky and they got one that was super good. Um, and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to throw money at a problem when you're only going to be able to get you're only going to be able to to get what's originally there, right? So if they're cutting costs on the wire and the pickups, and they're cutting costs on the switches, and they're cutting costs on the jacks, and they're cutting costs on the pick guards, and they're cutting, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Like they're not, they, you're not getting the same quality of wood either. That it's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I just think that modding a $250 guitar and expecting it to be a $500 or a $1,000 guitar is just crazy. Um, however, like to each their own, if you, if you find the right combination of parts for your instrument that does what you want it to do, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to tell you no either. Um, but I, but I just, for, for me and my tastes, like I don't, I would rather start with better quality wood. And then maybe, you know, so I think if you start with better quality wood, you might not need as good as pickups. Like, I know I poo-poo Epiphone all the time, but if you've ever played like a five or $600 Epiphone, um, you know that they're a little bit, they're a step above an affinity, right? They're not, they're not an affinity telly. And, and even though the pickups aren't great, they're like a little hot, a little overwound, um, a little bit muddy. They're passable. You could gig with them. Um, the old Squire Affinities, you couldn't. It was like it was like playing um, uh, a rattle can, you know, of, of spray paint. <laughs> That's the way I think of it, anyway. Yeah, well, um, again, when you're putting it, we, we all talk about, oh, well, not all of us, but there's that whole, oh, well. Well, uh, those who sniff corks, um, me. Yeah. The, the whiff. The the uh, wood doesn't matter in a guitar and blah blah blah. Well, if it didn't matter, then you could you could make a guitar out of anything as long as it could hold the strings. So the fact is that that there is something to be said about at least the quality of the wood and the ability to hold a pickup where it's not jangling about. Can I it's, say that? And everything matters in the construction of an instrument. The bolts and, and you so put through the neck matter. I mean, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm looking at the, the telly right now, right? And the, when you mentioned the wood, it is it is made of six pieces yeah. of wood, and I can see that. Yep. I mean, I, they're not hiding. Yep. Used to be they paint them black, paint them red. Don't you? You didn't solid get color scotch or anything like that. And those things that were solid colored for a reason. Mm -hmm. When they were making it out of that Agatha stuff. They didn't want you to know that that would, if you took that paint off of those old things, mm -hmm. you'd, you'd be frightened. You'd say, oh my God, what is this? How, how did they put this together? How did they, I yeah. saw but that's one. Just it. The, the, the paint is holding it together, folks. I saw, <laughs> I saw one one time that was literally made out of like um, three-quarter inch ply. It like sandwiched together. I, it, it, there was like nine layers. And I'm sitting there going, this can't be real. <laughs> yep. yep. I was going to say, so um, a friend of mine showed me, he had one that, uh, you know, that came into the shop and it, it, it got, he was a shop owner and it got dented up. So he was able to, you know, trash it. I'm using air quotes, people who can't see me. Um, and so what he did was he stripped the paint off and just what you were talking about, it looked like the press board they use for that cheap, you know, $8 um, uh, 
medicine cabinet or whatever you buy that you when you were you were setting up your first apartment you couldn't afford real furniture um so you bought a, a nightstand or whatever from you know yeah uh, that's Walmart. that's even worse because that's like mdf right um yeah yeah and it was just like mdf it was literally press board and i said oh my god what in the heck is this? he goes that's why they paint them in solid colors because they don't want you to know that it's like that the wood it's wood shaving doesn't even have grains. It's wood shaving and glue. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even have grains. It's just crap, literally crap. But you know the funny part is, like you know that there are examples of those guitars that sound good. So yeah, what, that that's just like the consistency was different on that day. You know what I mean? Like exactly or they got wood that day and they got pressed board the next day you really don't yeah, know I, that's why they use solid colors that's yeah and i've seen um i've actually seen some that were from the same time period as the one i saw that had because it looked like you know the, the stuff they make cabinets out of which is just regular old plywood right and right, and it right, looked yep. like that it had grain in it but it was like like veneers glued together right and there was probably eight Correct. or nine of them and yep, that thick with yeah, and the bot the body, you know, of course, <laughs> on the affinities back then, the bodies were slightly thinner. But then I saw another guy right. who who had uh, who had strip finish on in in a similar forum, and his was like Alder. It looked it looked yeah. just like Alder. I was like, well, see, what? what? <laughs> my, my understanding was that they were handling the overseas manufacturing much like Fender um, himself did. Is that they don't throw parts no. away? So you take you take. Um, guitars, right? And you and you make them, right? You're planing wood all day long. Hey, what are you gonna do with those shavings? What are you gonna do with that? With that Grind stuff? Them up, throw it throw away. some glue in there. <laughs> Put them together and make one with it, because that and uh, uh, you could be the fortunate person that got the, you know, the not too bad guitar. You could be the less fortunate person that got um, a couple of layers. Yeah, it's like you playing be the, the it's like less. playing the lottery, <laughs> right? You were spinning it. Because you didn't know, because you couldn't see underneath all that red or the so, black. You typically they were red, black, and white. So if we go back then, right? I, yeah. I, and I've, I've long suspected this, but I'll bet you the weight of those guitars varies dramatically. I'll bet you you'll find Strat Affinity Strats and Tellies from that period, six pounds, all the way to fourteen pounds. Yeah, yeah, that were like eight, nine pounds. I can the, remember picking up some so, that were really effing heavy. So, yep, and that's that is the uh, that's the tell. But but the other side of the tell is how well they dried the wood. Did they give it proper amount of time to dry? Yeah, and, you know, like like we're talking about. If you've got a lot of board that's pressed together, and you had to. Get a press it, glue it, press it, glue oh, it. Oh, yeah. You're going to add a lot of weight. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Like, glue is heavier than wood. And that's why I said that would be like a 14-pound right. guitar. That one that I saw that was like sandwiched eight layers or whatever, yeah. that would have been like 14 pounds. It would have been nuts. Yeah. And so I guess that's that's kind of my fear with buying solid color guitars in general. You don't know what you're getting underneath there um, because when you buy an expensive instrument, you know inherently they're trying to cut costs. And so if you're like one of these people that's like, oh, I'm just going to mod every guitar I get my hands on um, and just I'll buy $200 guitars till I'm blue in the face and just put parts in them. Like, look, I get it. I, I know what you're trying to achieve, 
buy the $500 guitar and put $200 worth of parts in it rather than buying the $200 guitar and putting $570 worth of parts in it. It just doesn't yep. make sense. Um, save your money a little bit longer and buy the better guitar because I think in the long run, you'll be you'll be much happier putting putting good parts into a $500 guitar on down the road right. than you will doing the other thing. Um, I've, I've literally seen shops tell people, like, we won't work on that because they're like, they're like, no, it's just not worth, it's not worth your investment to, to keep it going. Um, now personally, I kind of think that's, that's pretty dodgy, but, um, the, the store that I've seen do that around here is I'm surprised they're even in business, but, um, well, I could I could tell you if I was a if I was a maintenance person, I know that that uh, I used to go to the same guy all the time, right? Um, throughout the the um, uh, early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, and the and the person that took care of me um, would tell me, he'd say straight up, you know what, this this is not worth it. Just get rid of it. He he'd show me um, whether it was a neck problem or whatever, um, and I took I'm taking my acoustic in. Have him take a look at it because I it's it's all about sentimental reasons. I told him, I said, look, I know there's no value in this guitar whatsoever. I couldn't sell it for 20 bucks in the open market. But it's got some sentimental value. So if if I could restring it, put a a pickup in it, it could be my, you know, my guitar. Because I, you know, I intend on getting the Martin um later next year. And so it's it's one of those things where, okay, if I put a couple hundred dollars into this, then I can play it now and again. Yeah, I mean, I go back to my youth because I bought it when I was twenty-one years well, old. Well, you and I always do the we always do the the rental fee thing, right? Um, so I get that, um, and I I'm not trying to tell people not to do the value thing. Like there are obvious reasons why you want to do that, Jim. You have an affinity tell you right now. Like I bought inexpensive yeah. guitars. I will continue to buy inexpensive guitars at different times. Um, depending on what my needs are at that moment, and I'm gonna I'm gonna order Holly. Um, and I wouldn't I I I've got the the red unicorn like I put pickups in that, and I'm gonna put a bridge yeah. on it too, and I've already put tuners on it. Um, yeah. it, it really just depends on like what your needs are, and I just want to make sure that people like are prepared for what they're getting into because I think a lot of people, especially when they first start on guitar, I've heard people say things like I'm just gonna build my own guitar, and you're like, have you ever built anything? You know, like right. what? Or I'm gonna buy a well, I'm gonna buy a, a kit. What? Right. Well, there was, there was a time when you could save money buying a kit. Yeah. And and um, it, it was like uh, I want to put it like computers. There was a time when building a gaming computer made sense. Yeah. It costs a lot less money. We're talking in the hundreds to build your own gaming computer, right? You got your own, you got the sound the sure. sound you wanted. You got the um, it, it, now doesn't make any sense at all well you, it just i mean like I, order you can say you can save money by by building out of the box but you're not going to save enough to make it worthwhile um right and that's exactly what i was going to say not enough to make it worth your and money. i and the same goes with a guitar if you if you go to warmouth and you price out um to build an american professional equivalent right an apples to apples you're going to be you're going to spend Almost two thousand dollars. You're anyway. going to be. So just get one. Yeah, you're going to be right around twelve fifty to thirteen hundred. And here's the problem. Here's the problem yeah. with doing that today. My generation, the vast majority of people I know, um, and I again, this is a small cross section of people I know, are not equipped to build a guitar, even out of a kit. Yeah. 
They just don't. They don't well, know how to. Too. They don't know how to do it. Number one. Number. They don't know how to use a solder. Yeah. That, well, not even just a solder. They don't even know how to. They don't even know how to hand sand. I mean, it's like yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna buy a guitar kit and you've never done fret work. Like what the yeah. hell? <laughs> um, I know, right? So. And that's not to say, like, somebody like I, Dan Kish is a classic example. He's talking about buying a, uh, building a guitar. And I told him, I said, you know, you're probably one of the few people I know that can actually do it because he works with his hands all day. He's, he's got the tools and he understands, he's been playing guitar for, for almost as long as I have, if not longer. Um, yeah. in which case, you know, for him, that's a perfectly valid, like, form thing for him. Like, oh, I could do this. Um, now, again, I cautioned him against it originally because I'm like, you can't just go down to Home Depot and buy this wood. Like, that's not the way this works. You know, so if you're going to compare apples to apples, you need to understand, like, the, the a lot of what you pay for is not labor in a guitar. I mean, there is some of that going on, too. But a lot of what you pay for is, like, wood and that kind of thing. Um, wood drying yeah. process, uh, finishing racks, all that stuff. Because, you know, your guitar hangs. If you buy a Fender, your guitar might hang there for 10 days just drying and now i think they're using uv hardener yeah. now i think they're i think they're yeah. a lot faster on that but i mean 20 years ago 30 years ago they would hang in the, they would hang they had a place a building where they would hang oh. bodies after they were sprayed um and gibson still does that so i think what gibson's a 30 day 30 day drying process well i know your um i know your uh uh your guitar the seven string hung yeah for yeah, a for a couple of days at, at minimum, but yeah. they use a UV hardener on those too. So I, they, I wouldn't shock me if they're still doing that over at Fender, but I don't think they're doing it like they used to. Um, but my point is like, no. that's where your costs are at. You're, you know, having a building that's got security and heat and, and air conditioning and all those different things, a climate controlled environment costs money. And so that's right. It's not so much, you know, Bob who's, who's, you know, taking home, um, you know, twenty dollars an hour to to go, you know, pay his bills um, that you're paying for. Like, yeah, he's involved in it, but it, but the, I mean, I can't even imagine like an offender guitar how much actual handwork is done now. There might be like an hour of hands-on work or two hours of hands-on work in a yeah. fender guitar. Um, yeah, your typical off the shelf. Yeah, because because they, I mean, everything else it, is done by machine. Little finishing. CNC um, does a rough cut on the I, body. They might spend ten minutes doing a doing a sand on it. You know, yeah. the neck. Yeah, there's probably some hand hand labor there. Um, now that now that a little bit on the yeah. Fronts. Now that cause nobody's using the plec in that kind of situation because because the plec takes time. Um, yeah. So I mean, like you're not paying a ton of labor. You're paying you know three or four hours worth of labor is is yeah. what you're paying. Probably. So you know. 50 bucks or 100 bucks to assemble your Stratocaster or your Telecaster. Uh, I, 100 bucks, right? Four or five hours, which is padding. And then, of course, they're spraying it and hanging it and, and the actual woods that go into it. And, and, that, and that's how you get a $700 guitar, right? With a 30% markup for the dealer and a 10% markup for the yep. distributor. So yep. at the end of the day, you know, when you think of it, when you stop and you and you actually do the math, like, you you could build a guitar yourself, and it should be forty percent less than what you would pay at retail. But it's not. But it's probably not going to be. So because no. really, you're not buying in quantity unless you've got unless you've got a plane, and you've got access to the woods, 
and you've got all the all the stuff. I've got a friend who's got a CNC, so he builds he builds Telecaster bodies and necks, and actually builds tellies, but um, they're knockoffs. He's not he doesn't do but three a year, so it's not somebody you're going to order one from anytime soon. But, um, because he's an engineer as a as a trade, he's an electrical engineer, and he doesn't have time. He just does them for fun. But anyway, um, the uh, he, he did the CNC thing. Still, if you don't have that stuff, you're probably going to buy a body and you're going to buy a neck at a minimum. You're going to buy all your parts. You're just all it is really is a Lego box. Yeah, then it's not building a guitar; it's assembling a guitar. Right, you're assembling. I mean, now even if you bought uh, the plain wood, let's say you could could get your hand on the wood. It's going to take a lot of time to get that thing yeah. right. And that socket, even if it is a bolt-on socket, there's a reason bolt-ons are used over glue, but that is still not as easy as it might no. be to get that thing lined up and put that thing in and get it so that the neck is true. That's not an easy process. No, I, I, I've seen some failed experiments. <laughs> I've seen quite a few in even my with day. Even CNCs, that's the yeah. <laughs> Um, I've seen some come out of factories that are failed experiments too. So now, now that said, he used a thing called a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. Little, little computer. That's when he put his CNC his control with that. But that's not a, it, it's not an easy task. And uh, I, I, there's a reason that luthiers, like people who build acoustics, you know, the Adirondack Pine, and the, what they make them out I, of. And, you can't um, fathom what that stuff costs. I mean, oh if you get furniture-grade wood, which is basically what they're making most of the stuff out of, if not higher grade than that, yeah. you're going to pay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not It's not cheap. I mean, um, flame maple, a, a block of flame maple that you could make a Les Paul top out of, 400 bucks. Yeah. Just for, that, just yeah. for the, just gonna, for the and, maple. And for a one-off design like that, you're going to throw a lot of yeah. that away. A lot of it's going right to garbage. Literally. I feel like we're doing a. I feel like we're doing a redo of last week's episode, but better, but yeah, better, I, but slightly better. I, I hope so. I hope so. But I, I, I think that you would be better off just going to Warmoth because at least Warmoth they're getting a discount on that. Well, a, a, they can buy. They're buying it bulk relative to what you're buying. Sure, we would be buying. And so you would buy. You would pay a lot less for a body. You'd pay a lot less for a neck. I mean, I when I do my Warmoth build. I'm hoping to do one next year or the year after. I I want to kind of do the right. I want to do it my way, so I want to do it right. I want to get a you know a, a roasted neck, and, you know, the right body, and everything else. Probably do a bolt on because I'm going to build it, and I suck at doing anything. Um, I can put Legos together, and that's about it. So, but I can I can solder and I can do that stuff. I was I was in electronics for a little while, um, <laughs> but. Uh, it's my eyesight is what it used to be. So making those connections, that's why I hire somebody. To well, I mean, I, I just don't have time to, to assemble a kit anymore, but I mean, uh -huh. I could do, I could do a kit guitar. Like I've, I've done enough guitar. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've refretted guitars before. Not many people can say that. I mean, um, I refretted, a, I refretted a maple neck gym, maple Ooh, fretboard. I've, I've put in enough. You want to talk about separating the men from the boys, do a maple fretboard. <laughs> I I barely clean my own fretboards. <laughs> I do clean them, but I, I um 
I just a bit, but I, I'll tell you, every, like um, that's something I do every time I take you know the strings off. But I once I see enough wear on those frets that they got to get something done to them. I thought about going to what's that company? The Stumac is the Stumac as the fret file sells and stuff. Thought about buying a fret file. All right, so the fret, so the fret file is really for the ends, um, but they do make like you can buy sanding blocks. Well, they make a, yeah, and then that's you can it. do that's you can I mean. do crown. You know, you can get your crowning files and do that. Crowning. But you know what? Yeah. Be honest with you, I take them and get them done, and I do it and I do it yeah. twice a year. I take all my guitars going yeah. twice a year Be because yeah. I play them enough, and I'm I'm going to start playing them more because I'm I'm slimming down the amount that I have. That I really should be doing them quarterly, um, but yeah. I don't. I I just can't afford it. So I'm slowly converting over to stainless steel on everything. Yep, mine are going to go. When I have to replace them, they're going my, to stainless my, steel. I am not putting my S five hundred. I've been thinking about having good time put stainless steel in it. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother with another nickel set of. Um, uh, I just, you know, Nick and I had a conversation about it. He was like, well, you know, people claim they're brighter. I just don't fucking hear it at all. I pardon my language. I just don't like when it's this much brighter. It's, it's not even that know, much brighter, Jim. It's almost unnoticeable. You know what I think people don't John, like stainless steel frets for? Because they're no. slippery. They are much better to play on. I They're so smooth. Like, I'll never do another fret yeah. material. I really won't. Um, I'm to the point where it's like, even if I was to buy a guitar, I've, I've thought about like buying like a, um, I was looking at a gem the other day and I was like, I could buy this. But if I bought a gem, like the gem junior, right, I'd have to pull all the frets yeah. and put stainless in it because I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not, I'm not yeah. worrying about the frets being worn down or getting chunks taken out of them because I drop a case or something like that. Nick, nickel is yeah. not a great material for this. It's not, um, it might be yeah. good for tone might. I just don't. I don't hear the difference. I don't. Um, and you know, I I can hear the difference between brands of strings. So for me to say that I don't hear the difference is like, I, I I'm I'm now granted. I've never had a guitar that was uh, nickel and then swapped it over for stainless and done the Pepsi challenge with a recording, right? Right. But if I can't tell, so that's the thing. If I can't tell pre and post doing it like if i can't tell you know picking up one guitar versus another that has stainless and one that doesn't i'm probably not going to be able to tell in that situation and if i could it might be so minuscule it's not worth even arguing about anyway i think that i think a trade-off and reliability and consistency is worth it yeah I, I i totally agree with you there um to be completely honest with you i wouldn't be able to tell not for any amount of money in the world i and that's without even trying i know i couldn't tell i i, I just I just know I like jumbo frets, and I know that uh, um, I like uh, I like a smooth fret. As soon as I get a little wear in there, I can tell you right away. Yeah. Because the second I go to bend a note, I'm like, yeah, oh, you feel that's it. it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know what was weird? So the other day I had that happen on my keys. I was like bending, and I was like, oh, it's gritty. What yeah. the hell? And I would like do vibrato, and it would feel gritty. And I was like, what? So I look at the fret, and it's not none of the fret because it's stainless steel, obviously. Um, it was the right. string. The string was starting to wear. The string <laughs> yeah. was starting to wear through. Yep. And I and I stopped I there that. for a minute. and I went, okay, <laughs> like. <laughs> yep. Strings. No, gone, no, strings I didn't even in. cut them off. I was just like, well, all right, like, because because oh, I, I literally man. I ran my finger underneath the string, 
and got whatever material that was on the bottom of it all. It just kept playing. It's like whatever. That's yeah. That is probably why I go through the effort of really polishing up the fretboard. And I say polish it. I just mean I just wipe it up real good, folks. I don't use a like a bunch of cleansers. Do you know, do you know what I, I use? do? Do that once. A year. So when I'm polish yeah. my frets, I get a drum. I get a Dremel yeah. out. Okay. I take some masking tape and I go through, I go each fret separately, but I use jeweler's rouge and a, and a buffing oh, yeah. wheel yep. on a Dremel. And those frets are the shiniest and smoothest frets you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's, ridi- it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, and my dad was actually the one that uh, he, we, we were working on one of my older guitars and like, um, he's like, well, you could use steel wool, but he's like, the steel wool is going to come apart and get all the pickups. He's like, why don't we try this? And that I, I was sold instantly. The only problem with it is you have to make sure you like kind of, you have to get the jeweler's rouge off of it. So if it, if it gets too much on the sides of it, like you kind of got to scrape with your fingernail yep. to get it off, but yeah, it's good stuff. I, I highly recommend that as a pro tip. Yeah. And anybody who thinks that I was like plugging Stumac earlier, I'm not really. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't I, think I either of us are super huge on Stumac. They're that, really expensive. No, yeah, they're very expensive. Uh, there are other companies. They're just one that came to mind when I was mentioning. They do make some tools that like that's the only place you can get them. Um, yeah. And that's totally when you go to Stumac. Um, and some of the stuff they do make is really really good. Like they have um they have a fret press that they make that yeah. like just bolts to the side of your workbench. That's a great tool to have if you don't have a drill press. I have a drill press, right. so I bought the set of calls off eBay, the radius calls, and I just put them in there, and that's how I pressed my frets in. Um, well, I have a, I have a workbench that I use for my guitars. That's actually where I sit when I do this podcast. I work workbench, but um, yeah, I just uh, put the neck holder on this end. I, I do my thing here. So. I don't do um, so I don't do much work. Like I've been doing my own setups now. Um, at the house yeah. just occasionally. Um, yeah, but I don't well. do, so like I don't do any fret work and that's why the the red unicorn is actually, um, with somebody else right now because, uh, they do fret work. So I was yeah. like, well, I was like, it obviously has some high frets. I could tell immediately and I knew there was something janky going right. on with it. So I'm like, I'm just going to take it to them. I'll let them just do a once over on yep. it. So I'll, I'll reveal who I took it to when I get it back. But, um, they're going to do they're they're doing me a solid basically they're trading me for something so um nice. but yeah all right well we're coming up on 2 hours now so um i wanted to talk about something else but i think you we're talk, have about? To talk about Let's it next it. year and that's the Ventura the, the, Vin, the Ventura, Ventura series yeah whatever is whatever. it Ventura Ventura yeah. Vin, we got 10 minutes let's do it yeah, I just wanted to say that, so um, Fender, speaking of Fender, um, they've got the new Ventura series coming. Kind of kind of wanting to get one of the 70s Telecaster thin lines in my hands to see what I think of it. Um, other than that, you and them damn when I'm looking lines. at it, it's like, yeah. Uh, other than that, I think it, they, they look, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, eleven hundred or yeah, eleven fifty and under um, line, uh, and most of it's you know thousand dollars and under. So, good looking stuff. 
they've got a 60s tally with the Bigsby. Um, so uh, there's, of course, the what is it, the Jaguar modified, yeah. and the, then the Jazz, and so on and so forth. And these are made, uh, these are made in Mexico. Right? Yeah, uh, no, they're made wherever they decide to make them. That's because they're not ask. telling anybody so that... where they're being. Yeah, I've heard they're made in Mexico, but they're not really telling anybody anymore. Yeah. They're they're burying it as best they can. Yeah, really? oh, I mean, they, they, it gives them the ability to make the necks over here and the bodies over here, and to combine those things together and make things more cheaply. Like I I understand what they're doing, and I'm okay with it. Um, country yeah. of origin really doesn't matter. It's about the quality level. And if they if they make a if they make a two thousand dollar guitar that's a crap quality level, they're going to get called out for it. And that could happen over there because of their policies now, but um, I suspect it won't. It's possible. I, you know, it's hard. So for me we're to, talking about the yeah, that looks like Mexico. Ventura, ser Ventura yeah, series here. Um, so we're talking about yeah. Ventura series. It's just more brain confusion for me, like. I, I yep. know what it's supposed to be. It's a replacement for the for the time machine, you know, 60s, 70s guitars and um, all that stuff. Like the, the whole idea that, you know, you could buy these vintage style guitars and whatever. Um, it's just brain confusion. Like, honestly, I just need – I really only need like one vintage style guitar from them. Like a vintage – they could call it the vintage series Strat, right? Which is like yeah. bent steel saddles – you know, 7.25 inch radius or nine and a half inch radius, depending on what they want to do nowadays. Uh, either you might even want to offer like a, an option. You can do the CBS headstock or the, the um, pre CBS headstock. And that's all I really need. Like, I don't, I just don't think that there's really a need for a 70 strat model or anything like that. And so I think, Maybe that's what they're trying to do with the Ventura series is to like get away from that. Um, but at the same time, I think it just makes it more confusing because now you have this series that's not clearly like a vintage thing, right? Correct. Um, it's uh, it, I, I guess it gives them some leeway to say, well, this this is sort of like a vintage Fender, but it's really not. <laughs> you know, it's a vintage. But it's really not. Ventura. Um, but so they're still doing the same line. So like they got a 50s. They got a 60s. They got a, you know, and then they have like a, a regular and then a modified of both. And it's like, well, well which do you yeah. want to sell? Because to me, Stratocaster, like a, I'm looking at the Ventura 50 Stratocaster modified. Like, why isn't that just, uh, a, you know, a, another guitar? Like, why does it have to be a 50 Stratocaster modified? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Well, that's just it. So, yeah, so you've got a, a Ventura 70s. A Ventura 60s, a Ventura 50s, all the Stratocasters. So, and then you've got, what do you want, Parafero? I, I, I do not see, a, a, I never saw a Fender Stratocaster in the 70s that had a Parafero no. fretboard. So, that's not, it's already not well, um, in so, that line. So, it's just, I, I mean, I know what they're saying. It's the neck shape and the, and because let's right. face it, the body has changed. Right. The, the the strap body does not change from from model. Right. Same with the you know, unlike the telly, it changes because you've got the thin line um, or the you know, so so whatever. here here's my issue, right? And I I'm, I'm thinking to sum it up a little bit better. So you got the yeah. the, the regular fifties model is a V shaped neck. 
the 50s modified yes. model is a C-shaped neck. Well, wait a minute. Neck. Wait a minute. So that's the distinguishing feature, that and pickups, right? That's yeah. the distinguishing feature. Why wouldn't I just buy any other guitar in the line that has a C-shaped neck? Like, <laughs> exactly. what the hell? You just, uh, that's not, just take that one out of the, exactly, take that one out of the equation. That's what I was saying. You summed it up. You right know what there. I mean? Like, it's just, it's absolutely nuts. <laughs> so why is there even a, why does the modified even exist? So wait a minute. And then if you look closely, you'll see the modifieds also have a two-point tremolo. So it's yep. basically whatever the American standard was a couple years ago. You know? That's right. Made, made in, in Mexico. Mexico. Like, okay. Yep. So then just call it what it is. This is a player series with, with 50s pickups. The Fender Ventura um, 70s Telecaster like, Deluxe. Yeah. Is the Chris the Chris whatever um, telly? It's the same exact. Guitar. I know. It's just a. It's just a different neck. If it is a different neck, well, I, literally they're just popping another um, name on them. Um, and the the Fender uh, Ventura seventies Telecaster Custom Powell Pharaoh is the same damn guitar with a different bridge. It, I, I, I'm just like. Well, they're different. They are different colors, right? So they have co different colors <laughs> different available. Colors. I mean, that might be the only thing that actually exactly. makes this worthwhile, you know. Um, and and that was totally meant in jest, right? But so I know. So, That's so, why I was laughing. Right, right. Like so. Here, here, here. Here's why I laugh. Right. So we have a fifty Stratocaster. That makes sense to me. We have a sixty Stratocaster. Yep. That makes sense to me. Why in God's green earth do we have a seventy Stratocaster? Why? That was not the decade anybody no, wanted to buy. No, no, it's still not the decade anybody wants to buy one from. Now That's I do like I do Why like the you... colors they're offering it in, but I'm not buying yeah, a big headstock Stratocaster. You're out of your mind. Oh, I love I love the big stock heads, headstock Stratocaster. I know you hate them. Well, I you grew them. up around them too, so it's different. But yeah, I did. It, uh, by I the did. time I got into guitars, like the big headstock thing was reserved for the cheap, the they cheap ghetto been. models, like the the affinities and stuff. Yep. Um, yep. That that's and true. So for me, it's like a little bit more obscure. It is interesting to note if you look at the picture of the '50s and '60s Telecasters, the headstocks are slightly different. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and it, I know they changed the headstock over the years. I just never seen them lined they, up that way. Um, so if you, yeah. If you looked at the old, there's a reason that the old ones were the way they were. They called it the yeah. foot. Um, what they were doing was they were able to take two, uh, one piece of right. wood and get two guitar necks. Uh -huh. And so it was it was for money saving, convenience. That's why the older ones are as slim as they are. They got a little bit thicker. If you look, that's your difference in the um, in the 70s or well yeah. 60s. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I honestly like I. I think this. Not like. I think this uh, line, like I'm looking at the '50s, uh, the Ventura '50s Telecaster. I think a yeah. thick, soft V-shaped maple neck with a satin finish and a nine and a half inch radius fingerboard sounds perfect to me. Four-way switching with an S1 switch. Is this really a Baja Tele? Is that what this is? It's That's, a Baja Tele with a. Yeah, it's a Baja with tele. a different. With a, with four um, a, a different color, and a, yeah, yep. I'm I'm interested in the uh, thin line, obviously, but I'm also interested in that Bigsby. I mean, I'm I like classic tellies. I probably should 
cough up and get a cheapy so somewhere a, along the line. It's a 60C profile with the vintage fretboard. And it's got the um uh it's got the big I don't know. I just don't I just um, so. don't think this line needed to be adjusted at all. I think they could have been fine and and I think it should be it should be re- realistically six guitars, right? A 50s, a 60s and a, and maybe a 70s. And if they're going to do it what they should what they should probably do is a 50s, 60s and then and then vintage modified. Yeah. The only the only downside of this is so they put a vi- um a, a C-shape, modern C-shape neck. Then they put a seven and a quarter inch radius on. What did they do? Modern C shaped yeah. neck, seven and a quarter inch radius. What? I'm just <laughs> look. I, I you know what? I don't care about the C shaped neck, V shaped neck, but the seven and a quarter inch radius on any guitar for me is like a no deal. I can't do it. I can't. Nope. I yep. I can't. You I cannot bend on a seven and a quarter inch guitar and not have it fret out. That's why Fender stopped doing it, and now they're and now it's like in vogue. Oh well, all these old guys. Yeah, you know why? Because they had their the the, the frets that were below the twelfth fret worn down to nubs, and and yeah. like that's that's how they were able to get away with it. So for me, like I see that, and I'm like, gosh, why? You know, I'm not I'm not gonna sit there and have you know pay the guy an extra twenty bucks to sit there and file down below the twelfth fret for an extra five runs. It's eh. and then um, here's here's an interesting thing. So on Guitar Center site where they list the uh, the Fender Ventura seventies yeah. line, here's here's something to figure out. It says in features that it's a um, twenty five and a half inch scale, twenty one fret, nine and a half inch radius maple fretboard. But then in specs, it says um, seven and a quarter inch radius. So which one is it? That's did they really? Did they? It? Did they pull? It listed both. They listed both. I guess I'd have to go. to No, Fender's I'm looking site. at it right now. It's a seven point two five everywhere I can see it. Seven point two five in the details. Seven point two five under features. You go down to the neck and the bottom. It's seven point two five. This is a seven point two five inch radius guitar. Yeah, so I'm looking at a guitar center. It says uh, uh, features, gloss uh, finish, 25 and a half fit scale, 21 it, um, fret, nine and a half inch. All radius. right, all right. So my my final thought on this: it, is Fender really going to bring back the 7.25 inch radius and be like, this is what people need? I mean, are they just going to ignore the no. last 35 years of guitar making where everybody kind of realized 7.25 was too shallow unless you were really going to wear the neck out? And it's not pre-worn. That's the difference between these. Those of you who get the custom shop seven quarter inch radius and go, oh, or you got yeah. I mean, they're wearing those down before you get them because it's worn down. It's already worn in. It's effectively already become a nine half inch radius. That's I mean, I know I know there the the vintage diehard purists out there will will be like, I'm going to get hate mail for this. Um, But listen. 7.25 7.25 inch radius like you're if you if you think that you want a new guitar with a 7.25 inch radius go buy one of these i i'd love to i'd love to hear your thoughts on it after you get one because it's going to be a whole nother ball game than that other 7.25 inch radius guitar you've got that you bought that was made in 1963 
or that custom shop job you bought that's made to be like that guitar you have from 1963. Because they're just two totally different animals, okay? That that guitar, the, the 63, has been played until there's nothing left. Whereas the one you buy off the shelf is going to have brand new frets, it's going to be leveled and crowned, but it's not going to be worn in at all. And those guitars would take five or ten years to wear in like that, playing every night. You know, in a, in a club for four hours. That's that's what it's going to take. You don't wear out frets by playing an hour a day. You don't. You're going to wear out frets by playing them an hour, you know, four hours a day consistently. Because I've done it. I, I wore out the frets on one of my guitars. It took me a long time yeah. to do it. It took me almost ten years. And I was playing about four hours a day. So... Yep. My American Strat, I wore the crap on it. It's on its second set of frets. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I wore them out. I wore them out so yeah. bad that there was, they were jumbos too. So it, it took a long yeah, mine time. Yeah. Mine were medium, took me almost medium vintage. 15 years. They were the Jimmy yeah, Vaughn. Mine were, um, mine were, what do they call them? Something jumbo. They called them. Uh, well, I mean, I, I could have, I probably could have, if I was like, so if I was one of these vintage cats, like I probably could have kept playing it because the, you know they were getting low, but they were just getting unplayable yeah. for me. And I'm like, no, oh, I no, can't do were, this anymore. Mine were totally yeah. unplayable, totally unplayable, especially from the fifth to yeah, the yeah. Well, that's when they, they then you get gone. where you can't bend and stuff, and that's like basically what was happening to yeah. me. But I could have cranked up the action; I could have kept going. But I'm not yeah. going to do that. Yeah. Like that's that's insane. The guitar already had medium high action anyway because it's a nine and a half inch radius. You can't. You yep. cannot play a nine and a half inch radius neck without uh, some amount of fret rattle going on and have low action. And I don't like a lot that of was, fret, I don't like a problem. lot of fret rattle. I want it to be kind of open, and I want my guitars to sustain a little bit better. So for me, like my action yep. was already medium high, you know, and I was concerned that like it was going to get into high territory, so I refretted it. Yep. Um, that was the one I did myself. Yeah, by I had way. to do that. Um, and when I did it, when I had it done, um, uh, I won't say that it was cheap because it was far from cheap. But luckily, I got a lot of work done at the time. But here was the it, this was the thing when they did it. They said, "I can't believe you were playing that guitar." I said, "Yeah, I wasn't doing a lot of solos on that thing. <laughs> it was a lot of open." Well, my my guitar tech the last time I took the S five hundred, and he goes, he goes, "You play a lot on the G and B, don't you?" <laughs> yes. I'm like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "He's like." I thought he was going to say around the fifth to seventh fret. And I'm like, was there anywhere that was particularly bad? And he's like, no, he was like, it was pretty even across the neck. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mine was between the seventh and 12th fret. And then uh, obviously um, uh, up at the 15th fret, a lot of, a lot yeah. of there, 12 to 12th to seventh. Right. And that's normal. You're going to get that's a lot of uh, E position where um, I, I yeah. usually get a lot of A. So like the fifth to eighth. But the thing is, uh, yep. on on my guitars, like now, because I play in so many keys all the time, because I'm playing, you know, now I'm doing seven string tracks and then playing, you know, uh, playing a six to, to lead stuff and all that kind of thing. Like, it's just, I'm all over the place now, so. Yeah, I'm still playing uh, uh, stuff like uh, uh, Secret Agent Man and shit like that. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all right there, the e, e standard. Or, yeah, um, wait. Hey, Jim, most of Jim's riffs still require open open strings. So yes, a lot of them. I play a lot of open E notes. <laughs> that, that string pretty much just jangles for me. That's my drone. All right, well, man. Uh, I have been David. I've been Jim, 
And tonight we've been practical guitarists. Somewhat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>